All right. Uh, well, that doesn't look nearly as good as it did a moment ago. Before I started something, egg, rock on, my friends and Christians, mad Christians this morning, tuning in. It's Saturday. It's time to chill. That is way too awkward. I, I'm moving stuff around as I am wont to do. Always in an effort to make it better for you. Let's see here. There was this thing was set up previously to kind of run this off, and now I'll see if I can make it. I'll be happy. Does it do that? There. Oh yeah. There we go. Because I really wanted to be more. There, oh, look how smart I am. I have books. I have books. So you should think that when I talk, I make smartness noises. Yes. Good morning. We got a lot to talk about this morning. Your comments bring us. Oh, it fell again. Your comments bring us in some interesting directions. Uh, aliens again. Uh, and of course, we got to talk about COVID. Now it's too low. Silly camera. Oh, tripods are for people who have them. Uh, and then some more. But we're going to talk about taboos this morning. There's so many that I'm afraid I'm going to forget all of it right now. And I just want to like barf it all at you in one big moment. But instead, I should say, again, it, it's time to chill. We got some new toys to play with. We got some good questions coming. We got at least two hours of, of your time letting me just whine in your ear the, <laughs> uh, the greatness the greatness, actually. So whining. Cease whining. I've been pondering a number of psalms recently, and in the New King James Version, one of the psalms of ascent, and I can't remember which one off the top of my head now, it talks about how our, our voices have been filled with, now I can't remember the word, it's like consternation, but it's not that, it's like complaint, and it's about, I, I think if I understand the psalm correctly, the prayer is that while we sojourn among the wicked, while we sojourn among those who don't like the idea of truth and want to destroy things because they think that's good for society, while we sojourn in that world where that's the norm of history, by and large, in the last 70 years notwithstanding on this continent, uh, while we sojourn in the midst of that, uh, we, we have a central reality that keeps us grounded apart from everyone else who doesn't know the day that is coming. And, and that antidote to worry, that resurrection of Jesus Christ, that truth that you know that since he's already alive— you are alive forevermore, well, it can, it can really shift the way you look at almost everything. So again, that's the goal of what we're going to be trying to do this morning. Here we are, mad Christianity. What's more mad than being both Catholic and Christian at the same time? Maybe we'll talk about that later. But first, some service announcements. My new book that I, I would love to hold up for you and show you the pretty title of it, um, and we will look at some of it the pages themselves, and talk about the text uh, today as well. Uh, my new book, Talk Them Into It, did release on Amazon.com uh, last, I think it went up Saturday evening is when I had to put it up because they're like, it'll take 72 hours to show up. And since we were guaranteeing it would be there on on Monday, it's like, well, I guess I got to put it up. So uh, the, the people have been asking all week, how's it going? And the answer I have for you is I have no idea because Amazon really hyper delays the information you get about your sales, and I would have to say that for being as large a corporation as they are and the amount of millions that place is pulling in on other authors, like the global Kindle Direct publishing amount every month is some $30 million in revenue, right? It's something like that. Uh, that, that they would have a better way for you as an author to have an idea of what's going on. They really don't. It's, it's, it's all delayed. Um, what I know as of yesterday's most recent uh, is that I think on Saturday night when we released it, two copies were purchased. That's what I know. Yeah, And there's some, there's some e-purchases, which surprises me, but I, I really don't expect a lot of e-purchases because the book's free. <laughs> you know, we, we will give it to you again. It wasn't like you just had to be on the mailing the one time to get it. If you subscribe to Mad Christianity, Mad Mondays, our newsletter, our e-magazine e every week, comes out, it comes out on Monday, Data Minds the World 
for information pertinent to your faith as a Christian, or just as a thinking person also, um, a thinking Christian, as it were, uh, if you sign up for that, you will, when you subscribe, get the cookie, the cookie of the uh, your choice digital copy, talk them into it, which again, we'll be digging into this morning. What is it about? It is about my conviction that we've been, let's just say ill-informed about conversion as Christians. And I'm, I'm talking as a, a Catholic Christian. I want all y'all to, to hear this. You know, if you're, if you're a, a papist and you're talking, it's about, about how to make more papists but come home. Or if you're a Baptist and you're talking about how to make more Christians by the sinner's prayer. Uh, if you're a Lutheran and you're not talking to anybody but you're forming a committee to complain about how there are no more youth or new people at your church while you never address the fact that you don't really care about anybody that visits. Sorry, did I, did I just say that? Uh, whoever you are, if you would like people around you to not only not be afraid of you, LCMS, I'm looking at you, uh, to not be afraid of you, and if you would like to exude the hope that is within you, that Jesus is in fact risen from the dead, then I cannot tell you how important this book is to your life. Let me, let me give you, I'll, I'll just be vulnerable here for a moment, right? You're like, like, why does he think so highly of his own work? Oh, goodness, a little little kind of nervousness here, right? He's so proud. Uh, Look, when you write a book, there's a couple ways that it happens, but usually, unless it's like pure sci-fi, you know, just making, even pure sci-fi you can't do it, pure fantasy, just making stuff up. You generally write a book because you're reading about the topic itself, and you're reading about the topic itself because you don't know about it. So I'm just going to say, I wrote Talk Them Into It, so that I can buy it, so that I can read it over and over again, because I need what it says more than you do. I didn't make up this book. This isn't my particular genius. All the golden gems of this are taken from two other men, two other men, two other books. You can go read those books too if you like, by all means. Tactics by uh, Greg Kokel. I think I said it right this time. And, And Did the Resurrection Happen? Gary Habermas. Uh, you put those two books together and they have a baby. Well, that's, that's what we got and talk them into it, <laughs> right? And so, But the genius is all them. Uh, you can read both of their books and probably come to some of the same conclusions, but I think I boiled it down for you in a way that will make you a better conversationalist if you're not one, uh, will make you uh, hopeful in your conversations, will make you unafraid to stand in the, in the gate, right, and speak with your enemy and have a, 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 a tactic, more than that, a set of principles for a conversation that, that in large part cannot fail uh, cannot fail now there are there are exceptions and the appendices of trolls is a fascinating little section of the book so if you do like trolls there are, there are trolls abounding in fact oh goodness let's see if we can make this happen this morning with that said I'm going to pause the show while you're all watching and let you see me without my head to attempt to see now where oh it's not where'd she put it it's in a different folder and so how will I find it I'll have to look for this during a break we have a new mascot. It's great. It's been a long time since the monkey. I miss the monkey. <laughs> um, but uh, we have a new mascot, and and uh, he, she, uh, oh no, in our day and age, that's a little worrisome, but I'm not sure. But uh, frankly, our friend, the troll, uh, that, that is on the alt cover, which you made happen by subscribing enough to get us over a thousand in our subscriptions for Mad Mondays, uh, that, that little troll that's on the alt cover, which if you got the downloads, you know what it looks like now. Uh, uh, the troll, <laughs> whoever the troll is, uh, gender. Uh, interestingly, I mean, what are trolls? I don't know. I, I think they're like they're 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 like unisex, aren't they? Don't they like spawn like gremlins? I don't know. Someone help me with this one. <laughs> I know a lot about fantastical animals that don't exist and how they work, but uh, with that one, I'm not as sure. 
in any case, uh, our mascot will be this cute little troll. And there is a an image I can get up here to like hang out with us during question time, whatever. And and uh, and that'll be coming. So so many cool things happening behind the scenes with us to chill, um, including the movement into Discord. Yes, to build Concordia for the world, we are adopting Discord. I am not kidding. This is the coolest. My game's the coolest video game ever. I I contend this. I challenge you to find out that your life is a more cool video game, VR, role-playing, real-life stakes, two lives. This is the first one. I challenge you to find out that yours is cooler than mine. But I literally am attempting to change Western civilization by starting an organization to form concord between Christians, and we're going to do it by using a platform called Discord. I mean, you can't not find God's love in that. <laughs> I just don't know how. It's the providence of design, that the path of God has been set before you. Whatever yours is today, and God smiles at you through his word, he really does. Because whatever the pagans call it, you know the truth of that reality because of the Ten Commandments. You've been taught how to understand nature. You've been to understand the design, that there is a design, that you can seek the design, you can build upon the design, all those good things, right? Oh, goodness gracious. So, so, so I, I tangented there quite a bit. Uh, the design is something I definitely uh, have fallen into talking about a lot. This is my, my deep dive into Proverbs recently. But before I get too far away from it, I've been talking about the download, the free book, all this stuff. Did anyone have trouble downloading the book when you went to click on it? We know of one person who did. We know that that has been resolved. But if there are others of you who maybe are not as, as into the Us the Chill Discord reality, that's what I should go back to and talk about more, um, those who are not tied into that, that network yet, um, please, <laughs> we want to tie you into the network. Uh, we want to provide what we said we would provide. If it didn't work and you want the book, uh, we want to get you the book. The book is free. The book is in the Creative Commons licensing uh, legal reality. I don't know what to call that. There's, there is legal reality words for talking, for talking about that, right? Um, if you want to be a lawyer about it. But the point is that it, the book will remain everlastingly the property of everybody who uses it without trying to say, I didn't start it, <laughs> right? Uh, so so like you, can, you can take this digital copy that I put out there, right? You take it, you can go and package it and, and sell it on Amazon with a similar title, right? And have it compete with mine. Go for it, please do it. It's okay. If there are 7,000 of this book out there being reprinted on Amazon, that's great. <laughs> so th- that's, that's the idea. That's the theory behind the Creative Commons licensing is the distinction between old publishing and new publishing. Uh, and, uh, and this book is released into that. So it exists for you to have it in your hands. Uh, do I hope to make a profit on the book? Of course I hope to make a profit on the book. I hope that you won't go – I mean it would be really amazing to see 7,000 know, unique copies with different covers of this book for sale. That would be really cool. Um, but – uh, at the same time, my funny mechanism would be that you buy a paper copy of this at some point, or maybe 15, because uh, it might just be worth uh, giving away to everybody you know. Uh, and you go, oh, he talks about it. He's so proud. He, talks about it. he doesn't like the whales either, probably. And uh, anyway, <laughs> so I didn't catch that reference to that tangent, because my impersonation that time was not who I was impersonating before when I did that. And um, Jim Gaffigan is, is a much better Jim Gaffigan than I am to begin with, but he does have a good joke about whales and blubber. <laughs> And, uh, and, and the Indian Ocean, in fact. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you find that one on the internet if you want to and veer back into Discord. So the, the, the behind-the-scenes movement now between 
uh, the release of this book, promoting this book, trying to get everyone to read this book, me reading this book over and over again so I can talk about this book more, so I can put it at the heart of what we do. So what we do here isn't just about us talking to ourselves, but becomes about us talking to others about what we know to be true and life-changing, right? Life-impacting uh, to make that network that already exists through a couple of different places like this chat side right over here you guys are in. I should point over here. The chat side you guys are in over here. Um, I guess it's just on my screen. I don't even know where you guys are on the, on the thing. Uh, we want to try to find a hub for that, right? Uh, create a... a a, a place where you know you can go and get linked into the network of everything that we're promoting. And if it's someone who you know we talked to a while back and you want to get connected to the, with them, you come on in or can I get connected through this network? We're going to build that network so that people who are there want to be there and people who are not there don't want to be there. There's, there won't be trolls in the network. But uh, it is sort of like a mad Christian Facebook within this app called Discord. It's really a channel for uh, various forms of communication and networking. And it's something that we're going to be building over the next couple of months to provide for you as fans, followers, what have you, uh, Catholic Christians who believe firmly in the unifying power of the simple Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer. And, of course, that would mean you would then be willing to talk about the Augsburg Confession and how it also summarizes all those things quite well for, for all of us. And, you know, and that would be a platform that would bring together Christians at a time when Christians are being divided over things that maybe uh, we ought not to be. At, you know, we should certainly get, get united on some things that we're divided over right now, like, like justification, like we should talk about that. But in the meantime— you know, while the barbarians are at the gate, maybe we shouldn't be fighting each other like in the streets, right? So <laughs> maybe we should be taking our best ammo, our best artillery, and sharing it. And so this is really the vision of mad Christianity. If I haven't said it this way before, it's worth hearing it right now. It's, it's not that Lutheranism would stop being a word that I would ever use, or that Lutheran would not be what I designate myself as, or that I would cease to be a pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod for the sake of my conscience and for the sake of those to hold me accountable to what I've sworn to uphold as a teacher of the Scriptures. So it's not that, but it's that there's this interesting thing that's happened culturally, that the more that the Lutherans have attempted to maintain the identity of Lutheran, the less Lutheran they've actually become, <laughs> uh, and, and the smaller their little ethnic enclave has become as well, as they've tended to be more a reflection of the culture around them than, say, what the scriptures say, or even what their own documents about what they'd like to believe say. And so in defense of the word Lutheran, we've kind of ceased to be Lutheran. Meanwhile, the word Catholic and the word Christian abound in popular culture and are used to mean all manner of things that don't really always seem fair to me. And you know why? And you know why? It's because I think that I'm a Christian. And so when they talk about Christians doing this, I think, oh, that means me. But then when I go and people say, oh, what do a church do you go to? I say the Lutheran one. And so then anything I would ever do never impacts the word Christian anywhere, ever. And I'm done with that. You know, I'm done saying, you know, if someone meets me on the street and finds that I'm a pastor and they say, where's your church? I'm going to say St. Paul. I'm just going to say St. Paul. And they're going to say, oh, is, is, that, is that Catholic? Inevitably, that's what they say. And most people around here are Catholic anyway, a good, good majority of them. And from now on, I'm not going to say no. I've always said no before. From now on, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and they say, oh, I don't know that one. I haven't heard of that one. I said, well, yeah, uh, we're, uh, we're way out on the west side, way out in the corner. Um, St. Paul, uh, you, can, you can check us out anytime. We, we are a bona fide Catholic church. And I, I, it really bothers me that I, that I just don't know you. I know every Catholic church in town. How come I don't know you? Oh, 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 oh I well, we're the excommunicated Catholic church. <laughs> you know, the, the Pope has excommunicated us, um, but I've spoken with your bishop. I've been in your newspaper. We're on really good terms. And, and yeah, we're Catholics too. I mean, yeah, he might disagree with me using the term, but, but it's my term. And you know, we're Catholic church. So if you're Catholic, we're Catholic. You should join us sometime. Actually, is there anything you don't like about your, your Catholic church? 
I bet you at your Catholic church, they still don't let the priest get married. <laughs> you know, at mine, they do. It's kind of neat. It's called word piracy, I think. You call it wizardry if you want. They've been doing to us for years. It's called deconstruction is what it is. It's a postmodern tactic for taking someone else's word, gutting it, putting your stuff in it, and throwing it back at them and saying, see, I win. And uh, the Mott and Bailey, if you don't know about the Mott and Bailey, talk them, in it. We'll t- talk them into it. The book will talk about the Mott and Bailey. The Mott and Bailey is a very similar tactic to this idea, right? That they, the deconstructionist wants to not defend their actual idea. Uh, they want to make your idea cease to exist by questioning it endlessly. And then once it has been questioned into non-existence, uh, through, again, dishonest questioning, largely, uh, once that has happened, then they will reformulate the meaning of the word with their own understanding that will often be very, very different than the word itself. Tolerance, you can track scholastically. It's been done. I don't know where to point you to the resource, but go go to the Fort Wayne Library, the Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, and look for any book on Marcusa, and you will see how tolerance has come to mean what tolerance means today. It's very intentional word piracy, uh, deconstruction. Now, what do you do when you find out the pagans have been playing a dirty game with creation? Do you say, oh no, that's an evil thing they did with creation, therefore we shall not do the results of the thing or the thing because they're the same thing, without looking to see are the results the same thing? As, as the action. What's, what is word piracy? What is it when you take a word and you change its meaning to be what your word is? And I'll tell you what, if you don't think we can do this as Christians, you've never read the New Testament in Greek. And you've, you've never studied the words that are there because most of the words we consider to be spiritual words these days, they're, they're not spiritual words in the world of the New Testament. The New Testament uses almost exclusively non-spiritual language to distinguish it from all the other pagan groups around. It does not adopt their terms. It, it adopts, I mean, excuse me, it does not adopt the terms, excuse me, that they would use for the same things. Let me say that differently. It definitely adopts pagan terms, but it doesn't adopt, adopt the terms they would use. So if the pagans call it worship, we don't call it worship. It's like that, right? Uh, if the pagans call it the Lord's Supper, we're going to call it communion. <laughs> it's like that. And they, and they codified those words into that Greek New Testament. And they're, that's just a, such a treasure trove. In fact, okay, so I'll, I'll share some of that with you right now. We'll do that right now. Hold on. This is going to take just a second. Oh, can I do? How, how cool would it be if I could make it go like this? Let's see what happens. All right. So I don't even know what I'm doing here. How cool is this? Does this work? It's much better than that one that was always autofocusing. So the point here initially is, is this word katharos. Katharos. I don't know if I can get much cleaner than that. Katharos is connected to, do I have it here? Nope. It's connected to a word in the Deeds of Darkness in Galatians chapter 5, a list that counterparts the fruit of the Spirit, a much more famous section, love, joy, peace, all that. Well, the Deeds of Darkness are the things that are evident and we should not do them or anything like them. It's a much longer list. And I was studying it in a little bit of depth this week because that text is coming up, uh, at least in, in the way the lectionary is going to hit us this weekend. Not everywhere is the same this weekend uh, with what we're doing, but... Um, the word in the list is a-katharos. It's the opposite. There's what's called an alpha privative, an anti on the front of it. So against this word is one of the things we're not supposed to be. Now, the thing about this word is that it is actually here a religious word. I'm going to try to use that finger. <laughs> it is a religious word from the first century world regarded related to ritual, Related to moral purity or cleanness, 
which in some places might involve doing like in that in that religion it might be what we would call an unclean thing but for them it's a clear a cleaning thing right so they they're seeking a cleaning in a in a ritualistic and group traditional way that is also physical and we're supposed to not be against that i think the word i forget what the word is it's it's really it doesn't bring it across in the english at all can i look for it let's see here no, I don't want to mess up and give you the wrong one because I'm just still studying this stuff. But the point of this is, this is a good thing to believe it's possible to be clean or unclean. And all religions know this. Even COVID knows this. Even those who worship the pact with death of avoiding COVID knows it's about being clean or unclean. Right? All religions. I'm not saying that understanding how to wash your hands is a bad idea. Frankly, our religion teaches you that cleanness is a good idea. Uh, it, it does teach that <laughs> uh, on a number of levels. Uh, but uh, leaving that for another time, this is the idea here now. So this good thing called katharos is also what we might call a taboo. When a group of people won't do something because they're afraid of what happens if you do it, and no one's done it for a long time. It's a taboo. And that's actually another meaning of katharos, a physical, ritual, cultic, moral purity. We don't go into those woods where Yoda said to go because the dark side is there, and we die and turn crazy if we go there, right? Although that's, you know, of course, Luke could bring balance and all this kind of stuff through his father, blah, 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 blah. So, but you get the idea, right? So this is also, though, the way the devil rules the world. Uh, his power is the power of taking the taboo, which is built good, is built to be physical, ritual, cultic reality, and it turns it into a false one, usually to destroy marriage and children. It's one of his big priorities. He likes the worship of trees. He likes to turn trees into altars for false gods. Not all trees actually are this. Trees are trees. But uh, it's shown throughout history, throughout paganism, that he likes to center on phallic symbols— uh, both circles and spikes, and and to use these as places to revolutionize sex as ways to destroy children and people, to tear down as much as he can. He also knows, I believe, uh, that the Lord must eventually destroy a people when they get too wicked. Um, and so that's, that's, his, that's his game right there, the power taboo. Now, uh, this year uh, in the sermon series at St. Paul, we're going to be touching on this via my, my book, Broken, uh, which I guess I could just show you that right there, right? Uh, which released many years ago from uh, Concordia Publishing House. It remains uh, a bestseller um, for them uh, as well as definitely for me. Uh, and um, the idea that this this false taboo that the devil reigns by, it can be broken down into three main kind of like defense mechanisms of the stronghold of his argument against your conscience. So the devil is always trying to make your conscience not believe that Jesus is inside you, alive, you're alive, God the Father is your God, all that stuff. He's trying to make all of that disappear behind what you see and convince you that what you see uh, is is his Reality, the false taboo, the false religion. And, uh, and so, in any case, uh, da, 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 the book talks about how to distinguish this. We're going to be doing that in the sermon series on St. Paul, Paul. So if you've never watched the sermons here, um, excuse me, on this channel uh, that, that usually come out live stream on Sunday morning, uh, and you would like to get into this book without having to buy this book or read this book, just, just tune in because you're going to get a lot of that uh, in the coming year. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Anyone having trouble downloading and never really asked that very well? If you have trouble, contact us. You can always contact us at revfist.com slash contact. That is the way to get a hold of anything and anyone, including me, um, especially. Uh, so it uh, doesn't mean I'm going to get right back to you, but we will get to you one way or the other. 
Um, all right. One more thing before we go uh, into a break and then come back with your questions. And that is, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, I tweeted it a whole bunch this week. Uh, it was in Mad Mondays. I made an announcement about it in the sermon uh, this week that I believe there's some really good news that has come out, RE COVID. Um, and it's under the radar news. But I think what it is is a harbinger. It's a bellwether. Uh, it shows us um, the way the wind is blowing. And it came out as a footnote. I'm, I'm under the impression it was an amend- amendment, although Twitter news is Twitter news. Uh, but it's a footnote in a CDC document on their understanding of actual COVID deaths. And, and so when we talk about this, it's very easy to get sentimental needlessly and make this about the hard emotion of people who died, which is a reality, and we should always care about that. But you can't make policy for your family based upon people who aren't there. <laughs> uh, you want to learn from what happened when people do die and try to prevent future death. But you can't not talk about things like the deaths and how they happened in order to try to be safe and wise in the future, right? And that's the danger here, though, because all the um, the arguments, every response I've gotten from from anyone who who doesn't like this this number, this fact, is somehow an accusation that I don't care about people who die, which is really hilarious. I mean, it's amazing to me that. In my desire to see COVID cease to exist, I am therefore wanting people to be dead, right? I am therefore heartless with those who have died. All because I've shown you what I think is the bellwether. So you get mad at me if you want. You can call me non-pastoral if you want. All I'm saying is there's some math involved in this reality. And the math will play out over time. And here's the math. The disease by itself killed 9,200 and some odd people in the United States. That's the number. All the other deaths had what they call uh, contingent circumstances. And to my understanding, it is 2.5 contingent morbid, like you're going to probably die if you get sick anyway, circumstances generally per death. Which means most people who died were alive because we have an amazing healthcare system. And a cold knocked them over when they weren't ready for it. And that's sad. And I think maybe fast food didn't help. You know, crazy. There's lots of talk about that out there. But all of that, I mean, I'm not trying to fix this. I'm just trying to say, now, now what we know is that only 9,000 people actually got killed just by the virus. And the virus is only really that dangerous at the end of the day, unless you have these certain and very specific, and we're increasingly seeing what they are. And yes, obesity and, and diabetes is one of the problems. So yeah, that's a big deal for a lot of people, but it's not a big deal for everybody. It's not a big deal for the world yet. So as we see that information come out, we can understand how to better handle this and perhaps, you know, not ruin our children by letting them, you know, think about this. You go to school without a mask on and you're six and you go to school without a mask for like six years. You take that mask off. You know what's going to be the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to read people's faces. You're not going to be able to understand if they love you or if they hate you. You might be more attuned to their eyes. Maybe you will be, but you won't smile back. You'll just stare with a... And training, cultural training matters, right? The dehumanization of us through the mask. I'm not against wearing the mask if there's sickness around. I'm all for it if there's sickness around. But if there's not sickness around, which if only 9,000 people in the whole U.S. were killed by this, well, then at this point right now, when nobody's dying and the numbers are going down, there's not sickness around. 
And this, this is such good news that we should know, we should just know that the way that the path of time works, the way space-time works and human information works and sociology works and history works, all this, the way civilizations move, that means hopefully – and we've been saying this anyway. You saw this anyway because you know it's about the vote anyway. But by November, we're going to be back to normal because everyone's going to know there's no deaths going on. And unless there's some new news about deaths that you can show me, I, would, I, I don't, I don't want to see it because that would make this a bad thing. That would mean it's coming back. But there's no deaths. Florida is open. New York has no deaths and won't open. I don't know why. Because of power. That's why. I do know why. Oh, for Pete's sake. The guy's scared he's going to have his head chopped off because of all the mistakes he made. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him. Oh, for pity's sake. So, so you follow me on this? This, is about, this isn't about how you feel about how we should deal with COVID's like prevention. This isn't about whether you should be tested. This isn't about the medical industry. Well, it is a little bit about what, you know, whether you, know, you need to be worried about having COVID uh, if you go in to, say, see the doctor per se um, or other things. I mean, general, general practice of going to see the doctor in sanitation, like that's a really important thing that could come out of this. But we're going to miss it if we turn it into a culture battle over whether or not you wear a mask everywhere you go all the time. So, so hopefully you can see that I'm not really trying to say none of it mattered. Oh, well, let's just go back to life. No, 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 no. I want to learn hard and good just how much the liars can hurt us in more ways than one. Everyone assumes everyone assumes that our strategy helped less people die. I would contend you haven't been watching Sweden or some of the other countries that didn't shut down at all and looking at what happened to them. And until you're willing to go compare that across the planet and see how strategies like sunshine and letting the kids get it worked really well, please don't tell me we're not allowed to talk about this disease and the numbers. Because what I want is to keep people from dying and keep people from losing their jobs and keep tyrants from gaining power all at the same time. I know it's a lot to ask. It's a big ask. Planet, I'm asking too much. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, <laughs> but at some point, you know, you just got to laugh at it. Like, can you not be happy about this? It only killed 9,000 people by itself. We had a lot of other trauma, a lot of other things that are going to pull out and, and hurt us from, from here on out. We're going to feel the pain of the economy for a, a good long while. Do you know the debt? The debt is going to like crash the planet. You know, when, when we have to figure out how to have money without the Federal Reserve because no one trusts the money they print anymore, when that day comes, the planet's in a lot of trouble. We should worry about those kinds of things too. It's a complex reality. But then here's the thing. We should not worry. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We should not worry at all. And that's the only way you're going to be able to handle that kind of information about COVID on a diamond pivot is when you're not really worried about dying to begin with. The antidote to your worry is to remember the reign of Jesus Christ and to seek him first, an activity involving both your mind and your heart. On that then, you'll get more of this in the sermon if you come to that this weekend. Do you have an inner life? Do you even know if you have an inner life? What's an inner life? You know, most religions talk about an inner life and how you need to foster it or it won't be there. You know, Christianity teaches that too. Most people don't know that, I think. Yeah. When food and clothing are not the purview of yourself, but of your master, then for good or ill, the, status, uh, the situation's out of your hands. So your worry is completely tied to, well, it says it right there. The amount of your worry is directly cultivated, inversely, to the amount of your believing the results in your hands. If you believe it's out of your control, you actually can't worry about it anymore. It's impossible. It's, it's not, you can do anything about it. It's kind of freeing. If that is your inner life, then, not, not to be free, but to worry about all the things that are not in your hands that you think should be in your hands, that's a very worldly inner life, a very mammon-driven, very fearful inner life. Uh, so remember, this is not about salvation. There's an important note on this here. Uh, 
Uh, this is not about whether you have faith. Right? So please don't, don't think, oh, I'm just, I'm not a Christian. Yes, you are. Stand up. You are. Stop. No one needs to spend time convincing anyone they're a Christian. If you're, if you're listening to a preacher preach at you and you're not angry about it and running away, you're a Christian. So, so the, the point is not whether or not you have faith. The point is whether or, not you've decided, whether or not you have decided to use your faith as a shield God made it to be. And that is, that is again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contend to you, it's a matter of your inner life. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, where'd my card go? It's a matter of your inner life. What are the words telling the story inside your head all day long? What words are telling the story inside your head all day long? Do you even know? You maybe don't even know. Have you ever stopped long enough to think about it? <laughs> What's next? Oh, here's that word study. Look at this. This was so much fun this week. That is lots of information. I think my favorite find is the fact that idolatria, idolatry, comes from the word to look at something. I find that, I find that to be one of the more marvelous things in the world that, in fact... It's not about having, say, an, an image. It's simply about thinking that you can see better if you look at this image. That this image will help you see. That's the root of the word. Think about it. Maybe, maybe I want this one instead. Maybe I want this one instead. We will be right back in just a couple of minutes with your questions. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill, and it is always a pleasure to be with you. We'll catch you in a moment. That was, that was awkward. Okay, so I want to take a couple of comments from you guys and answer the questions here. Now, it just scrolled up uh, a little bit, so I got to move it a touch to catch it. Uh, just just to clarify again on, on the COVID stuff, let's see if this works here. Where was it? Uh, George G- Gorgias, the sophist, says, there's a lot of overreaction, but I think some people are lying about how death certificates work for their own political gain. And then Michael says, so in the next time, the next time this happens, I guess it should be my, my mic. The next time this happens in a year or two, we're not going to close church, right? Right. All right. So here, here's the thing. Here's what I think. I think that a uh, there is no, there is not necessarily any human or human organization taking advantage of anything for any political gain at the moment, except that there are many. They are legion doing this. Every man after his own heart is doing this. I'm more concerned about this thing called the zeitgeist, um, time ghost, the devil. He's a mind who neither sleeps nor slumbers and ever plots the destruction of as many people as he can. He's got a singular plan. We actually know what it is, but he's really good at it. And not everyone wants to believe that it's true. And so when you see something like this happening to decrease, you know, it had the, 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 it comes through us as it does. COVID goes through us. And what happens is the decrease of civil liberty, liberty, the loss of valuable life and the chance for growth to communities and neighborhoods that were trying to grow, um, and and the acclimation of power to a, a class of people who we already know are corrupt, top to bottom, uh, that seems to me to be what the devil likes out of life. And I think, as a Christian, to say, "Well, this is the way it is." Oh well, like you don't know who your Lord is. <laughs> your Lord is a king who demands justice from his people, and it doesn't mean go pick up a sword against Washington, but it does mean open your mouth. It's been redeemed. Start using it to call the thing what it is. Stop being afraid of men and a respecter of persons, right? And, and understand that the devil does have a plan behind all of this. And if we're going to say, there's no conspiracy, then you don't even know what the Bible says. Because the Bible is very clear. There is a conspiracy to destroy mankind. It goes behind every every evil world power there ever was. They rise, they fall, they rise, they fall. But there's always another one at the top. And they always have the same tactics. And it's never on your side. 
And if you're going to sit here and like quibble with me to try to make the point is on your side, it's, it's like, well, come on. I don't think that's what you're actually doing. Um, I don't think it's what you're doing at all, George. I think, I think your comment is a very, very good one. Um, I just want to recognize like, yeah, there may not be every politician ever using it all as a combined attempt to gain political power, but every politician uses whatever happens their way to gain more political power. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, if they were all doing it together, maybe we'd die faster. That, that might be the case. So that God blesses us by having to go slowly. Um, I also want to share this uh, in, in a number of my tweets and Instagrams particularly. You might notice some Magic the Gathering cards start showing up. This is a card game that you need to know nothing about, uh, really, uh, for what I'm talking about. Because what I do is, I love the game, I don't play it much anymore, but I'm using it to remember Bible verses. Forsake me not unto the imaginations of men's hearts. Ah, ah, that should have been cool, but it wasn't. I turn it over, and there indeed, the imagination of men's hearts. What do you got? Death, decay, destruction. Forsake me not, O Lord, unto the imagination of men's hearts. I try to leave cards like this with memorized verses that I don't have to turn over around in my day and my life, so when I come to them, I pray the prayer that is on the back and the picture as a symbol you know, like into a stained glass window, but not exactly. It's the video game of my life, not yours. You pick your own. Uh, it, the symbol that I have chosen as a focus to help me remember the word of God as I fight my world. So that's the story that runs my life, not whenever a player counts a spell from his or her hand, although that's not a bad thing necessarily. That's actually a really crappy card. But anyway, um, the point is, I don't, I don't want those words being the only words run in my life. I want, I want these words, wah, so inside my head that they come out when I don't have the card around. I want to build a new vocabulary. I want to build a new set of slogans in my head. We all do battle by slogan. I want this to be my slogan. Forsake me not unto the imaginations of men's hearts. All right, let's get to your questions and answers here. We got some really kind of deep tangential topics this morning, I guess I might, might call those things. Let's see. They're going to take us a number of different places. So we'll start here with Andrew. Mm-mm, still don't have a good way to make this happen fast. So there we go. All right. I do have a good way. Just take an hour and a half prep time. Uh, all right. I mean, who's got time for that? Really? Who's got time for that? You got to pay someone like full time to make that happen. Anyway, RevFit says, Andrew, today I pursued a simple question. Are the words of Jesus also that of the Father? You think that's a simple question, do you? <laughs> you just opened a Pandora's box. Okay. Uh, my initial thoughts were, and still are, and by the way, pondering the Trinity is not a Pandora's box. I shouldn't say it that way. You can, it can be a Pandora's box, or it can be the most magnificent spiritual experience of your life as you find a mental acknowledgement of how non-fathomable, unfathomable, beyond infinitely infathomable the Father, Son, and Spirit are. Um, so that's a positive thing. Uh, but then trying to understand them and bind them to your own understanding, that's more of a negative thing. And that's where the great heresies of old came from, was that, that pursuit. The pursuit of, uh, what is it, de-supernaturalizing the miraculous revelations of God. And uh, they're not done with that, right? That's how Western Christianity has completely died. They gutted us. They started with the Lord's Supper, and it never stopped. Huh? There's a book about that. I don't have a picture. Without Flesh. Amazon. Really worth your time. Anyway, um, so moving on, though, the the Trinity as something worth pondering. My initial thoughts were, and still are, yes, the words of Jesus are the words of the Father, since no one comes to the Father except through his Son. My train of thought went through these passages, John 16, John 1, uh, John 5, which we'll we'll glance at those. Uh, I got stuck with these questions, though. Excuse me while I take a sip. Where does the humility of Christ begin and end? Regarding the word of Christ being the word of the Father. Whoa, that's pretty deep. Is, is it still distinguishing the Father and Son? 
properly in the context of the Trinity when it is said, the words of Christ are also the words of the Father. Uh, kindly regarded Andrew. Um, okay, so, 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 so. Let, me, let me start with this. When you speculate, you cannot dogmatize. And the moment you realize that your speculation has brought you to a place where you must dogmatize in order to make that speculation make sense, and then that turns you directly against an actual statement of, of Scripture, um, like when you see me, you see the Father. Right? When, you, when you hear me, you hear the Father. When you say, it's like all of it, right? Do you not know that I and the Father are one? You've got to turn all that around because it's dangerous to say that Christ and the Father are one. So now we can't say that. So now we can't say what the Bible says, lest someone understand it. See, misunderstand it. That's, that's, that's the backwards lie. The idea that Babel's stronger than the scriptures and that the power of the word therein. Now, granted, for the unbeliever, you know, the scriptures are a dark horse. You know, they, they do not help you. They, 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 uh, they, they, press you further into your own imaginations, thinking they are God's words. A terrifying thought, that, and we all should have that terror because that's the, the flesh needs that. So that would rely not on what we bring to the scriptures, but what we find within the scriptures, which again, we're going to try to do here with these verses you've asked about. Um, but so, so with that regard, I'm going to say that your question, worded like the scholastics of old, deserves about a, as much attention as the scholastics of old, and that is, you know, around a fire with a beer, having a little conversation, but you just got to be real careful. You don't turn this thing into, um, well, the filioque, <laughs> which we'll come and talk about uh, in a moment. Like, do we really need to fight? Because once you've been fighting for a thousand years, pretty hard to stop. That, that's the trick. And now the fight maybe should be there for other reasons. But uh, so, and I'll explain, I'll, I'll explain what all that meant with a different question. But I want to start with again, just your open question. Are the words of Jesus also the words of the Father? Well, I don't, if you were going to make the opposite case, I would like you to show me the Bible verses you're using to do that with. The tendency is to start using reason right away, right? And try to figure out, okay, we've well, asked a question that seems to challenge something that we all assume Scripture says. And, and so, and you've made a case that here's why it could be dangerous. So you said scripture could be dangerous for this reason. It's very clever. But then you didn't really give verses necessarily to counter the idea, right? So if you really want to test your idea, you need both sides of the argument. And you need to be able to put them against each other honestly in front of you and then assess their value like a math problem. This is why math is good. Math makes you think. And other things don't always make you think. Um, and so if you don't want to be a thinking person, I suppose that's okay. But you really shouldn't be in charge of anything if you don't want to think. It's, it's just kind of the way it is. Like you shouldn't vote if you don't want to think. I mean, can we, can we, I don't think we can have a law that like tests you of whether or not you think at the voting station, but we could say, we could just have it be the law. So we just ask you, do you think if they say no, you have to say, you probably shouldn't vote. And if they leave, then that's on them. And if they say, no, I'd like to vote. Then you go, okay. Cause, Cause then they thought, <laughs> right. Like, and you wouldn't even need like any real laws. It's just the questions. I and mean, they would either self exclude or not. Right. Because thinking is indeed a very, very important part of life. Right, anyway. Goodness gracious. So thinking, though, is not the solution to what God has said. Thinking is how we receive what God has said. So before we go to the scriptures you've asked to look at, I'm just going to assert that it is the testimony of all scripture and the history of the church Catholic, Catholic Christianity, that whenever Jesus speaks, the Father is fully with the Word, in the Word, one as the word of one substance, though a different person. 
from the Word. Jesus is of one substance and the same person as the Word, which is an interesting thing, right? I mean, now we're, we're running into... Like, look, if, if you ran into I, – I was at the game store the other day, and I saw there's a series um, that I used to like in, like, seventh grade called uh, Alien vs. Predator, which is pretty – just, it's just lots of monsters killing each other. And uh, there's a story in it, too. I remember being very good. I saw it again. So imagine the worst alien you can imagine. The worst alien I can imagine is probably the Predator. I th- oh, the queen alien is pretty nasty, though, and they get more of them together. I don't know. I don't know which one would be worse. If you haven't watched the movies, probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but – Imagine the worst alien, most nasty-looking, weirdest-looking thing you ever found. It's like an aberration of, of, of nature, right? And you find this thing. It's like a, it's something that came from the bottom of the ocean, right? You've seen this kind of stuff. And now you're looking at it, and you're trying to categorize it. You're like, okay, well, that part looks like the spleen, maybe, over there? And, and is that the – I don't know what that is. The, this, this bean seems to not be like me. I cannot seem to project myself onto it and understand it. I must understand it as it is. And the fish or the alien would be below us as us men being the pinnacle of creation, um, <laughs> uh, women being the crown. Uh, and yet with God now, we're dealing with a, a being above us. And to some extent with the angels, the powers, the orders, we're dealing with things that are behind us uh, that we're not able to see. They're unseen things. God's not only unseen, he's also un. Um, created, right? And so Father, Son, and Spirit all uncreated. That's your Athanasian creed there. Uh, that uncreatedness of them makes them, by definition, beyond understanding. Like, so the moment you start again trying to understand how they relate, aside from the clear revelation of it, like the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, as the verse says, and so we'll come to that question again um, in a bit. Um, I'm pretty sure that, that we got the verse on our side on that one. But anyway, uh, da, 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 that's the, the filioque thing. Um, you're never going to be able to dissect the Trinity on a piece of paper. And anytime you try, and all the times your pastor tries, God bless his heart, but St. Patrick, I mean, I mean, come on, Patrick. Didn't say St. Patrick, come on, Patrick. You know, it's just, it is, that is, there is no explaining the Trinity. And your question borderlines, as our questions often do on wanting to understand the Trinity, especially then when you get to the bottom and you say... Is it still distinguishing the Father and the Son properly to, to say that the words of Christ are the Father's words? Like, the moment that you're hung up on discerning the distinction between the Father and the Son properly, I would say you're off the path of pious meditation on Scripture, not by your own fault per se, but by having lack of a guide on the matter. Uh, there really is no place where you need to be worried about whether or not you're praying to the Father or Son, or you might be accidentally confusing them, unless you're authentically trying to confuse them and saying they are not different people, right? And that's a different thing. But like, that just there's only a couple of church bodies that do that. It's not really your problem. So it's not something we need to worry about. What we should worry about more, I think, is that when Jesus speaks, it's not just the Father, like behind, eternally, as word, now man, breathing, but the breath is the Spirit, who's also God, earing you, as in without flesh too, my other book, earing you into braining, into believing, into being, into communing with the eternal, all three of them, by, what, faith alone, 
and the spirit within you actually being part of your breathing to make the breathing expunge the word of God from within you, not so as you would lose it, right? Um, I should say expound the word of God from within you uh, out into the world. And that's the Holy Spirit, the God, that's God active and alive within you. And I'm not really too worried about whether the Father is the one I'm thinking about right now. I mean, like, pfft, Holy Spirit, light creator, Jesus Christ, holy redeemer. I mean, our prayers go to all three. And and the, the the revelation of them is not there to create the worry that we might get it wrong. That's not why he told us this. <laughs> he knew we were going to get it wrong. Uh, he told us this so that we could learn to not have to get it right. Uh, and just trust him to be the one who does, right? So, okay, we got some cards with these verses, though. I promise that we're actually going to look at that. Hold on. I'll pull those up. No! Loudness. It's like, the problem, okay. So, ah, so slow I can't grab it. Like the rabbit. There's one. We'll just do one at a time. So, like, the thing is, see, how can I, I would have to come in, I'd have to all set up, I'd have to all be, they would all have to be made invisible, and then I could pop through them, but I'd have to remember what they all are. Yes, it's just, it's, it's so much work. Uh, anyway, John 16, verse 25 says this. I've said these things to you in figures of speech, Jesus speaking. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask my name, in my name, excuse me, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the Father and going, sorry, leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly. Now, it's interesting there. They say this part's understandable, right? And not using figurative speech. I wonder how much the Lord's Supper was actually happening right at that moment. All the same. Now we know, don't want to read between the verses too much. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we have believed that you came from God. Right? Yeah, because he knows all things. He is God. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And this is John's theme all the way along. You don't really get it. Even John himself at the tomb, who believes, still doesn't believe until that night when Jesus shows up and then he really believes, right? And, and even then, no one goes out until the Spirit comes on Pentecost and then they begin to preach, yada, yada. Uh, so, do you now believe is him saying, like, when it, wherever you are as a believer, never boast to God. Ever. <laughs> Pray to God. Implore God. Be angry at God. Don't boast to God. Boast in God's name. Learn to do that. That one's fun. There's so much courage in learning to boast in God's name. Not your name. You can't, you can't lose It's a symbol that does not die because he's risen, right? So, um, but when you boast to God, that's what they did. They didn't say, they didn't turn around and say, look, everybody outside, Passover night, he knows all things. He has said all things and we shall never die because we understand he knows all things and came from God. Rejoice with us in confidence. No, no, they turned to him and go, oh, we know everything now because you said so. It's about us, right? Yeah, and that's who we are. I, I don't say this to demean the apostles. The apostles blessed blessed are our model so what they do is they show us who we are and so when you come to the do you now believe question the the answer is always in my flesh of course i do not and yet i despise and repent of my flesh and that is the regeneration of the spirit talking the election of god that has chosen me anointed me to make those words come out of my mouth not without my own reason and strength being brought along for the ride but frankly not by them either when it comes down to it (laughs) Uh, uh just just they're just part of the redeemed in the whole thing yeah so uh do you now believe uh yeah 
more than I did yesterday, but I'm not going to say to God, yes, I'm going to say, um, please continue filling my cup as you do. And to the rest, I'll say, yeah. So do you see the difference here? That's very important. So Jesus is trying to get us to understand that we need him. We need him. We never get to say it's without him. Verse 32, behold, the hour is coming and indeed has come when you will be scattered, right? And to know this is not only the disciples being scattered. This is the diaspora of the church. This is the fracturing of the church. There will always be a giant blanket of Babel confusion over the top of us. And anyone who claims that they're the real head of the church is lying. Um, We can agree to have a real head of the church, but uh, that has to be a human agreement. Uh, It's not a divine agreement. So we are scattered. We are scattered as the shepherd has ascended into heaven. And again, even as they did that night as he died, both these things being, uh, being realities. Uh, each to his own home, uh, leaving him alone as they did. Again, is it a betrayal? No, it's the will of God that they live through the night, that they would be preachers on the other side of what he was going to achieve. Right? He, he dies to save them. Of course, he wants them to flee. Uh, in fact, he tells them, right? You know, let them go and take me only. That's a different, different text. But he says, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I had this moment this morning. This was so wonderful. Blessed be Jesus Christ for this. Um, my, my faith in action because of these memorized cards, it's really ridiculous. Uh, so the, the, the scriptures have started coming out of my mouth at places that I don't, I don't even know why they're coming out of my mouth. They're just, you're putting them in, right? You put it in, it comes out. You're like, you're like a slot machine. You just kind of barf out whatever you hear. Confirmation bias is the science behind that if you want to look it up. It's, tr- it's true. I'm not just making it up. Like there's science behind that. You barf out whatever you heard most recently. So I'm putting in again, you know, as much, not Magic the Gathering, but Bible verses as I can. And this morning it was coming out of my mouth. And I was, I was outside, I was pretty early. I woke up a little earlier than I, I planned to. Um, and uh, but I got up. I just, I'm not going to fight trying to sleep for 20 more minutes when it's not going to be good sleep at that point. So I got up and uh, I started making my coffee. And I walked outside you know, and uh, had my, my Bible and I was going to pray. I had my crucifix with me. I was going to pray. And I've been pondering recently, you know, we're not alone, as the verse says. You know, Jesus says the Father is with him. We know as Christians we are not alone that God has sent his angels. He's a, a, uh, attached angels to, Jesus calls us the, the, the little ones, uh, the angels of the little ones. From that one little text, the church is always taught that you have somehow or other guardian angels. And for the sake of imagination, I've just run with, oh, one per person in my family. So been really remiss of me to forget that there are seven angels hanging out about the place all the time. They like order. They like the word of God. Uh, they like to sing praises to Jesus. And so I realized that when I opened my mouth out loud to say the Psalms out loud, which I try to do every morning in a certain matter, um, that I was not alone saying Alleluia this morning. And that angels and heavenly hosts and powers and orders and all the creation with either expectation waiting for the sons of God to be revealed— don't mind if the not yet uh, comes out in the now of faith confessed that says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah guys, you, we know where we're going. We know where we're going. And this house, this house will serve that Lord. This house will serve that Lord. Uh, it's, it's a nice, uh, so what, what set me off on that tangent? I want to see it and connect it back in. Um, oh, you're never alone, right? So this is the fact, though. This is what it is. It's like, like not only do you have the hosts of heaven with you according to Jesus' word, you have Jesus' word, right? He reigns from the throne, planning every step of your day, every day all the way, in order to bring you to his throne, resurrected, free, comforted, filled with love, divorced from misery and and from hate and malice, all that stuff. That's his agenda. That's like his plan, right? Why is this happening to me? Well, (laughs) because... Because you're supposed to rise from the dead, that's why. So, um, you know, in that then, you're never alone. And in that then, as much as Christ speaks and the Father speaks, 
when the pastor speaks the word of Christ, he speaks the word of Christ and the Father. When you, the Christian, speak the word of the pastor who speaks the word of Christ and the Father, that is, again, the Holy Spirit speaking the word of Christ and the word of the Father, not the word of the pastor, but the word of the office of the ministry which belongs to Christ, which is the church's whole confession throughout time and space, everlastingly elected out of the wisdom of God by this process of his Trinitarian revelation in this central person of Jesus that makes us say he is risen, you are paid for, <laughs> you can't die now. When Jesus' words come out of your mouth, the Father speaks. The Spirit speaks. He speaks. Now, can you twist those words? Can you deconstruct them? Can you try to turn them into lies? Absolutely. To your own condemnation. It's a <laughs> wizardry. If you're going to think of Christianity as wizardry, not magic. No, no, no. Wizards never cast magic. Uh, wizards merely read words that make sense and say them out loud. And then you listen and understand and then you become a wizard. It's just, it's just like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, wizardry, um, it knows it knows the power of believing that when Jesus speaks, the Father speaks. And when Jesus speaks, the Spirit speaks. And when you hear Jesus and you speak, all three are speaking. And as as it would be to have every moment in your life to know that you're not alone. Well, every time you speak the word of God, you're not alone. The triune God is with you. Again, I talked about a shield earlier, the shield of your faith. You wield it with the mark of the triune God on you saying, you go ahead. You go ahead and kill this body. Hurt its feelings. Make it sad and lonely. I've been there. I've done that to myself plenty. (laughs) Uh, you're not going to take from me the fact that I can't die. Cheers to you, right? And that is the Father speaking out loud. Right? And know that about yourself. Take that from this text. Now, I want to run it through the other text that you have and then come back and again comment on the, on the whole text uh, a little more. But John 5. Mm-hmm. I need music for this. John 5 says this, starting in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So you see the imitation motif going on. It's a reflection. Although Jesus doesn't really reflect the Father, right? He he is begotten of the Father, which is more special than reflection. And then, again, the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And so far as Jesus speaks and the Spirit breathes, he proceeds from the Son. Um, Spirits from the Son. Uh, I don't know how you can say Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and say he didn't proceed. But uh, we'll come back to that one. It's not really worth fighting over, honestly. Uh, Other than the East makes it that we have to fight over it. And that's kind of the point. Uh, Where'd it go? Where'd it go? For the Father loves the Son and shows him, verse 20, all that he himself is doing, right? So the son knows everything and therefore is able to perfectly beget as what God is having him be. <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. Uh, the greater works than these he will he show so that you may marvel, right? So even a greater thing is coming than what they've, they've seen so far. And that is the crucifixion, the death. Uh, what he will do as God and man in his dying uh, and then rising. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will, right? So when the son rises from the dead, giving himself life now, Everything he does is what the Father does. So again, to ask, is there a difference between them is like is to say, well, yes, they are different persons. But no, you are not free to distinguish between their brains, their wills, right? They have different wills, but they're in alignment. They're in concordia, something we can barely imagine. We got too much discord going on, right? Too much babble going on. But they're in ultimate harmony and always have been eternally. Oh, I don't understand that. You're right. It's God. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, but, but he gives us the beauty of this. Jesus gives life, it says. The Father raises the dead, it says. The Father judges no one, but has given judgment to Jesus. And Jesus says, I forgive you. So all might honor Jesus. That's what the Father wants to have happen, is we see him in Jesus. It's verse 22, 23 still, right? Just as they honor the Father. That is, if you're going to honor the Father, you're going to do it in the face of Jesus Christ. And by believing the words of Jesus Christ, it's the only way. He does not come into judgment, this man who has believed in Jesus. Uh, he has passed from death to life. Oh, I skipped a little bit there. You know, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has this eternal life, right? His word is the Father's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 25. Hmm, shouldn't say that fast. It's hard. It's, it really isn't good in English the way we have it. Amen, amen. I swear by God. An hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, I mean, he died, and then people rose from the dead like that day. I don't know what happened to them. It's crazy. They're still around. You want to write a cool story? Make it about like how they're still around. None of, we don't know any of them who they were, but they're, like, they're here to watch and wait as humans and like do good until Jesus comes back, and maybe they got super juju or something. Like That'd be awesome. Mutant powers. Um, anyway, they, they, they rose, right? I don't know. Did they die again? Did they get ascended into heaven? There's lots of debate about it. It's, it's not very clear. We just know what happened. But also, it's bigger than that because, frankly, when you believe Jesus has risen from the dead, you rise. Now, not yet, you rise by faith. The thing you didn't have before Jesus redeemed you, now you do have, which is the ability to trust God instead of only fear God, to despise mammon's rulership and, in fact, free yourself from mammon and time and and the slavery of, of mental despair that a conscience enwrapped in the lies of the devil's words can't help but descend into. You are alive to do battle against that in your own world. Right. And again, I've tried my whole life. Okay, stop. Psalm 23, right now, every day, out loud in the mirror. Okay. Make it about you. The Lord is my shepherd. The table's before me. Say it to your eyeballs every day. Straight up. Write it down. Spend some time in the Psalm of Ascents and the Proverbs. Translate them. Open your hymn book. Get a hymn that you know is about justification or mercy or trust and start translating that. Start memorizing that. Don't sit there watching TV and tell me how you don't understand why you're depressed. (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. It's a drug that hyperstimulates your adrenal gland. Right now, we talked about this before, right? When you're done with it, you're going to be tired. That's how it works when you take a stimulant. It's going to make you more tired later. It's, it's the, what, the law of equal exchange? Karma? The, the second law of thermodynamics? I don't care what you call it. So if you want to have the word of God be an impact in your life, and I'm not telling you, you're not going to have wealth just because. You're not going to have prosperity just because. Goodness and mercy will follow you the rest of your life. You might have to relearn what goodness and mercy really mean, but you will. That's the point. And the more you learn what goodness and mercy really mean and have that be the words you hear and the words you say, it can't not change your heart even if you do face chemical imbalances you can do nothing other than take drugs to deal with. That doesn't matter. Those realities will still be positively impacted by your faith. It can't not help you. Jesus can't not make you feel better than you would feel without him. Even though it's always the cross. And don't you for a minute hear me saying this is your best life now. You ever catch me saying that? You kick me out. <laughs> All I'm saying is, it's your best death now. That's one. Own it! So, don't marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice come out. Yeah, the resurrection day. It gets into it. I got off on the resurrection. So, your question again. So, what you have here is um, 
don't know why it won't let me. Oh, I know why. <sighs> I need, like, to get my kids involved in this. I need, like, another computer station and, like, my son. Then at least it would be comedy. We get him camera on him. I'd be like, dude, wake up. He'd be like, what? I'm with you. I was playing with my toys. <laughs> uh, I do love my boy. I love my boy. Uh, so your question, though, now. We didn't go to John 1-1. You know, the word became flesh. Uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. Your question. Uh, are the words of Jesus those of the Father? Yes, absolutely and unequivocally. There's nothing that proceeds from his mouth. See what I did there? That would not be from the Father. And if you were to say that, that's really weird that you would say that. Um, ever. You're not a Trinitarian if you say that. And, and then, you know, so you want to ask then, uh, where does the humility of Christ begin? You're talking about the humiliation of Christ, not his humility important to distinguish that the terms are not really great terms for our modern day anyway what you mean when you talk about the humiliation of christ is his divesting himself of a sort of mental or thinking awareness of his godhead like he used his godness to not feel like god (laughs) for a while we call that his humiliation uh and you know because otherwise like if you're suffering on the cross and you feel like god like it don't it wouldn't hurt that much you know i'm god right i'm I'm a fan i was like oh you made me bleed oh well uh but but so what he did is he humiliated himself he divested himself uh, of his divine power in its in its total action upon his physical body in order to endure the curse that we all endure with our physical bodies. He did not remove that from himself ever. He didn't cheat. He held it all the way. That's the humiliation. So, so you're asking then, um, where does the humiliation of Christ begin and end regarding the word of Christ being the word of the Father? Oh, so that's a good, that's a fun question. Have you read Out of Egypt by Anne uh, Rice? Um, Christ the Lord Out of Egypt by, by Anne Rice. So when Jesus is like five, learning to say, you know, mama and dada. That's probably earlier than that, right? But he's learning his early psalms or whatever, right? Well, <laughs> when Jesus first speaks his early words, you know, may I please have some Passover lamb, mother? <laughs> uh, is that the word of the Father? Well, yeah. It's the word of the Father designed into creation for the Son to speak as the word of the Father in flesh. How can the word not be the word of the I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like you're denying the incarnation then? There's so many problems you open up with this. Where does the humiliation start? You don't get to know where his humiliation starts. You just get to believe that it happened. <laughs> no, he knows. He had, you, you really want to drink the cup he drank? I mean, you really think you're going to choose to sit on his right and his left? That's not how it goes. Yeah? Uh, rather, you know that from the foundation of the world, according to Revelation, not the future, but the past, Christ has been crucified. That alone is enough mystery to just let the rest of this kind of die at its feet, not as, do I have to know? But as, the Lord knows the answer to these things. And in his mystery, has revealed it for me to find, as he wants me to find it, in the clear words of Scripture. So, so if you would really discover where Christ's humiliation begins, read the servant songs in Isaiah about the suffering servant. Study them with a commentary in hand. I recommend Kyle and Dale. It's just free. Uh, study them with a commentary in hand. Take some notes. Write it down. Write it down again. And, and you might learn to understand the humiliation of Christ more than try to pinpoint its timing. That's such a Western thing to do. When did it start? When did it finish? Right? Oh my goodness. The only thing that matters is if we can test it. Right? <laughs> it's not your fault. I'm not mad at you. Right? This is who we are. Uh, but I, I think you got great pious questions. What I want to do is I want to invert them into not so much dogmatic questions, which is the way you phrase them, but instead into prayerful directions to enhance your meditation upon Scripture. Right? Directions to study 
to study the scriptures. And then you got a wreck from me on it. Isaiah, the servant songs. Go there, go there, go there. All right. So we are sitting at uh, 40 minutes since our uh, last break. So I'm just going to take a moment to take a drink. We'll be right back. All right. And unfortunately, I still can't use these. Like like the pictures, I can't drag and drop them when I'm not in that screen. Isn't that funny? Like it, this is such a great program in every other way. But the place for some of those other free programs that some of you have recommended, and no, I, I really don't want to go to them anytime soon, um, that would allow you to set up like a pre-roll and all that. Um, I, it's kind of weird that, I mean, they do let you do it, but they don't. Um, you know, I guess I could do it that way. Multiple thoughts. But uh, try to do stuff live right now i'm trying to grab a corner look at that i can't grab the corner of this image in order to shrink it so that it doesn't take over the world all right there we go christianbook.com illuminated scripture journal from heidi heidi says this with red fist discussions on writing and rewriting and meditating on what you need uh, what you read especially scripture i thought i'd point out these books they have every Right-hand page blank. I bought the Book of Romans. Those look beautiful, by the way. I bought the Book of Romans while ago, a while ago and read it at work during lunch, rewriting passages. This is fantastic. Drawing sketches that capture the key images, underlying. This is, this is beautiful. Because I want to do more reading and rewriting, I bought several more, including Proverbs. Yeah, that, oh, I want one now. I'm so jealous. I totally want How much are they? Four to eight. Really? $48. Four to eight dollars. They range in price, but all of them cheaper than many journals. 48 bucks. The covers are attractively embossed. Oh dear heavens! What 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 um, what translation is it? I can't see it on the picture. Um, we'll try to get that in Mad Mondays, if not this week, next the next. That, that is that is super cool. Just Proverbs alone, the Psalms and Proverbs alone to have as separate volumes where you can like journal in it. That's amazing. And oh, I oh oh dear heavens! I'm gonna be in trouble. I'm already buying too many books. <laughs> That's such a great wreck, Heidi. Uh, thank you very 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 much for that. Um, dear heavens. Go find those, everybody. We'll, we'll get it to you. We'll get you links. Um, coming down to grab another one. Here we go. P.S. Josh Ohm. I think that's a pastor. Pastor Joshua Ohm says, I have explored many resources and been in many Bible studies that teach lay people and pastors how to read the Bible devotionally. The best strategies have felt forced and unnatural. Yeah, usually. Um, pre-made Bible studies like are, are I wanted to say from the devil as a colloquialism, but I understood that before I said it, it might be taken as the literal truth. And then I thought, well, maybe it is. And so I won't say it. Um, but, but pre-made Bible studies that are bought as pre-made Bible studies fill in the blank are not Bible studies. <laughs> they're like, they're like, they're like Bible not studies. They're Bible trivial pursuits is what they are, right? They're Bible trivia games. And that's not a study. A study does not trivialize the information. A study maximizes the information and networks the information so that it remains permanent in you outside of your studying it, right? The study creates a fruit, which is a reality that, you know, ideas have consequences and good ideas have good consequences. So, um, yeah, uh, the worst of an outright heresy because it's really hard to write fill-in-the-blank, you know, uh, commentaries forever and come up with new ones uh <laughs> there's only so many bad questions you can ask and have people fill in the blank you know what's the seventh word in verse seven i am becoming more convinced each day he says of the benefit of smart notes thank you you're right to christians yes you're right it will revolutionize us it will change the world Shh, just don't tell anybody he's not a christian for about 10 years we will get we will take over everything uh, so, uh, I mean, you can join the bandwagon uh, discord's coming. Uh, this system from the secular world does a better job than any Christian book I've read in promoting true engagement with the biblical text. Yes. 
It's a hermeneutics textbook, is it not? Yeah. Um, I've read Jeremiah many times before, but this last read-through with Smart Notes was a different level than, yeah, it's unbelievable. And I bet you got sent off chasing more other books than you were expecting, right? I can't get through my devotions to get to my studies because I'm so busy getting commentaries for my devotions. <laughs> Because of smart notes. What's a smart note? Okay, let's, let's do a little bit of smart notes. Let's make it real easy. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Easy? I said easy, right? Did I say easy? I said easy. All right. So once upon a time, I promised you I was going to write a book about smart notes. I still may or may not, but I don't want to give away the one ring. <laughs> when you find the power to change the universe, who do you share it with? So right now I got like some of my best buddies, um, smartest guys in the world that I know, trying to revolutionize their lives with this thing called Smart Notes. You can buy the book called Smart Notes, I think it's called Smart Notes, um, by Sanka Ahrens. It's a difficult read. I'm going to try to tell you right now everything you need to know. Um, I'd love to write a book about it, but I'd rather write books about more important stuff than how to help pagans think better about their paganism, if you see what I'm saying. So... Did I just wink at the camera again? We've talked about this before. If you read Proverbs, you know, winkers lie. Um, like I was, I was sharing with you and the whole world, including the pagans who watch, that we are trying to destroy paganism by having better ideas than them. We're coming. Be ready. <laughs> uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. So, smart notes, sunk errands. You can read it. But here's the gist. Write that down. Gist. When you read something... And then you translate it into your own words on any piece of paper. I mean, it can be a wall. It can be the floor, toilet paper. It's hard to write on toilet paper. Any piece of paper. You just can't write the quote. If you write the quote, it doesn't work. You kill the magic. Okay? Quotes are good. Quotes are good. But it doesn't do this. The smart note. The smart note does it takes the information into your head and it, it reprocesses it, grinds it, which actually creates a good thing in the gears in your head. It's like a training loop for your head on, on common sense. And it is like doing math, but not math. And it shoves back out of your head as you translate it into your own words, another level of the information. It's, it's another level. And it's, it's unique to you, and it's absorbable by you in ways that the other information was not. And it can potentially be absorbable by others to help them in distinction between the two find the truth as well. That's the theory. And the theory is that if you just did that, so if, if I were to just do that and translate, let's take Proverbs chapter one, okay? Let's do, let's do something that, that it, maybe we need more people to work on. Um, if you took Malachi chapter, Malachi, book of Malachi, and one commentary, one good commentary on Malachi, you're a layperson right now, okay? You're just, you don't have any theology whatsoever. You're just going to take Malachi and what you know is a faithful commentary on Malachi. You're going to read the commentary on Malachi, Malachi, never smart note it, just highlight it. But as you do it, side by side, read the text of Malachi. You're going to smart note the text of Malachi. You're not going to to make it about the Jews, right? You're going to to make it about what it's about theologically, the church, or whatever whatever you learn. You're going to write it down. Once that's done, book of Malachi, you'll probably have, depends on how deep you get in the commentary, but you can get out of that with probably 15 cards, okay? So you got 15 cards full of like pretty, really good notes. Now you take that, you do it again. Do the whole thing one more time. Just completely translate it. Do not allow yourself to copy and paste. You can take the best phrases, but by and large, translate that thing up a level again. You type that in, you got a publishable book. You, you do, and it's your own. You didn't copy. You actually came up with something that God gave you through your learning to share with the world. Now, you don't have to sell it. It could just be for you. I, I told you, I wrote Talk Them Into It for me. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to use it as, I hope, a, a black arrow to, to take smog out of the sky. I mean, this is, this is my shot, uh, the big one. And we're gonna, you're going to hear me talk about it a lot because we gotta, we got to ride this thing towards some other projects. Um, but uh, I, I wrote the book through the SmartNote process because of the power of the SmartNote process, knowing that anything I write from the SmartNote process, I'm going to get better at and then start to use and so if you take some notes, you take some notes again, you're going to find out. You don't have to think about remembering things. You're just going to know stuff. <laughs> and, and it's just going to come out and be pertinent to what's going on around you. And especially if you're doing that with the Word of God. And I said Malachi. That's a really interesting book. But, you know, do that with a, a chapter of Proverbs and don't try to get to publication. Just, just, just translate it. And you will find your discernment meter, your spiritual meter, whatever you want to call it, your, your, your taboo awesomeness meter like like i bring good taboo wherever i go because the things i believe reflect the actual god's creation and so obviously they work better than worshiping sticks you know <laughs> so um so uh excuse me I just, I just have to laugh at the pagans with the prophets on that one um so yeah smart notes it is uh so it is that simple you just it you get the gist of whatever you read. You read something, you get the gist of it, you write it down, you just keep going, and it will revolutionize your learning process. You can lead to publication, you can teach yourself things, you can you can level up a number of things in your life, including your time management, blah, 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 but you have to translate. And remember that when you're translating, there's a good chance you're going to elaborate. That is, you won't just say what the sentence said. You might add to it. You might say more. That's why this is not, in fact, a translation of the book of Proverbs, if you do this. It's your own commentary on the book of Proverbs, right? See the difference, right? But a commentary is just a really, really extended, deep translation. Um, And we need those. And we should be making those for each other and challenged as iron sharpens iron and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to translate, you're going to elaborate. And then the other thing you want to do with with all of what you find, the words that you're smart noting, is you're going to activate them. What does that mean? Well, so if I write it down... Differently, I'm translating. If I add new information, I am elaborating. If I take that information out and it comes out of my mouth in any way, and I would include my fingers on a keyboard in a letter, right? That's activation. Now the words have ceased to be merely an idea. They are seeking to become a consequence. <laughs> yeah? You want to, you have the idea, be a dynasty unto itself, filled with enough truth that when it goes out, it changes what's around you, not because you tried to manipulate the world with your magics, but simply because you are the created person to live in that world with a certain order, and you understand that order. You're far more likely to be able to tell your son what to do than to tell your neighbor's son what to do. There's a reason for that, you know? So you, you play within that order. You trust within that order. And then the smart noting system will let you apply the word of God of that order in ways that you will just be surprised how much is in the Proverbs that you didn't realize you weren't using. <laughs> It's, it's, like, it's like, this is just Christianity. It's just what the Bible says about how to be smart. I mean, I, sorry. I get so distracted. But, um, you know, I love this joke. This is, this is good for stand-up comedy. I don't think I'm ever going to do stand-up. We'll leave that to Wolf Me Learn whoever else. But rap, maybe. Stand-up, no. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, this is a great stand-up one, right? Like, like God wrote a book. Not the Bible. No, 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 no. Not the Bible. It's a smaller book than the Bible. It's in the Bible, but the book, the Bible's a lot of books. God wrote a book in the Bible. It's called Proverbs. And it's about how to be wiser than anybody else ever. And you haven't read it. <laughs> how is that not funny? <laughs> like, maybe you should. That's why I can't be a comic. It's because it's not really funny that way, right? 
Uh, comics are prophets. We should listen to them carefully. They have their finger on the pulse of the culture. However, they often have false truths to preach. Do we have more from you all this morning? I think we do. Let's see. What else we got? Oh, I've been tempted by it. We're going to skip one and come to this guy here. We're going to handle El, El Filioque. El Filioque O. I started learning Spanish this week, which to me is very exciting. I am looking forward to learning Spanish and speaking Española. What was it? It was uh, El Preparado El Café para Tú. Ha! Uh, pardon me? I learned a little bit of Spanish in high school. Uh, I'm not going that route. I'm using, uh, and I still can't remember his name. I got it on Audible finally. My wife's been recommending Paul. Paul Noble? Paul Noble. Apparently the guy can teach you like any language by listening to a book. Um, and, uh, well, I can order coffee now. Oh, no, no. I can, pre- I can prepare coffee. Could I order it? Um, I could because I would just say uh, El Café. <laughs> El Café. Uh, it's really cool, cool thing. In any, any case, the Filioque is not Spanish. However, it is a Latin root-based language. Reality, what is that? Is it? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a big deal for the Greeks, and that's why I got confused. <laughs> so in the development of the three ecumenical creeds, so-called, the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian, uh, there is some history that is connected to the ultimate first visible and loud rift between competing Trinitarian Christian bodies in the Western Hemisphere, because you certainly have other groups outside of both these bodies to the further east. Uh, however, uh, at various times, they are either uh, what uh, incarnational heretics or Trinitarian heretics, at least officially speaking, say Nestorians. But again, so are Calvinists, are Nestorians, and, uh, and they should say that we're Eutychians, and we all still think we're Christians. So there's something going on there we've got to be aware of. But you know, kind of the major impact in the West has always been uh, one— holy Catholic church that became two holy Catholic ancient Orthodox churches um, that really were more than one to begin with. Long story short, they had agreed upon this creed called the Nicene Creed in the 300s, and then there was an addition to the creed in the later 300s at the Constantinopolan conference. I forget if it was the second, Constantinople two or, or one. Um, and it doesn't matter that much unless, I mean, if you love the history, that's awesome. Uh, but the point is that at that event, it was added the phrase and the son to the, the bit, uh, the spirit proceeds uh, from the father. And that the Eastern bishops were not represented at this conference. And as a result, their claim uh, running through the great schism of uh, of 1000 and and up to today uh is that the western church is effectively heretical i think uh because we claim the spirit proceeds from the son and he does not and so to say so is how i've understood it right to say so is wrong and so the philoque should be stricken from the creed now if i am misrepresenting them um i would like to learn otherwise but my understanding from our point of view which would be the one I would, I would rather have them take this position because it would make a lot more sense, uh, is that um, the real issue is just that we didn't agree upon it at that time, and so you're doing damage to the unification power of the creed by changing the words of the creed. But of course, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. But that's never the argument I hear. <laughs> uh, uh, what I hear is that the Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Son, and then, then we Lutherans are really in a catch-22 now. Because while we're like, yeah, you know, I can totally get behind this unification thing, and, and it, it really isn't 
with Athanasian Creed, it really isn't necessary to have the filioque to to understand that the Spirit proceeds from the Son. Uh, and of course, the East doesn't quite look at the Athanasian Creed the same way that we do. Um, uh, but but our point again is like the only reason we're like no <laughs> is because it's also just been a tradition in the West without problem until you guys threw a fit about it, and and then now you're telling us we have to change it when the Bible doesn't say that. Clearly, Jesus says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And if to you that doesn't mean proceeds, because you have word pirated the word proceeds out of existence for everything else but this conversation, that's fine for you. You do that. For me, the fact that he proceeds from the Father and the Son is so evident in Scripture from the fact that the Spirit is always being given by Jesus Christ. That's what he does, why he's here to pour out the Spirit. Like, to to, to argue against that and tell me I have to change my creed um, because it's wrong— and not for the unity of the church and some historical argument. Well, I'm just not with you on that one. Yeah, you, you have fun with us being disunited. I can't fix your relationship with the Pope anyway. And all your attempts to do so look a little, mm, mm, I'll let Hans Feeney deal with that world. And, uh, and we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. So I didn't even get any further today. One challenge I face when explaining Lutheranism is the question. One challenge I face when explaining Lutheranism to non-Lutherans is why we keep the filioque. Um, because they said we had to get rid of it and because it's built into the creed to begin with. Like it's been there longer than it's not been there. <laughs> uh, so if you're going to change it, like it's not fair to tell the second hundred years or second 300 years of people who came along, well, you were wrong because the, the first 300 didn't have the same fight you did. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah, I explained that we don't explain what the Bible doesn't, but couldn't really explain why we kept the addition. What is a creed? So when you get together and you say, we believe it. So there's two versions. There's, a, there's the Nicene Creed. There's the Nicene of Constantinople Creed. We confess the Nicene Constantinople Creed, and the East only confess the Nicene Creed. Like that, if you really want to get nitpicky about it, uh, why? Why are we nitpicky about it? It's there to unite us. That's what it's there for, for pity's sakes. Um, uh, but, but I think I've done it already. Like, John, Jesus is always talking about the Holy Spirit coming from him. And, and he directly goes and does it at the end of John's gospel. Receive the Holy Spirit. If that does not mean the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus, and if the word proceeds does not mean the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus, but means some other thing, I just, well, the burden of proof's on you to show me in Scripture where this other thing is, right, that we're supposed to be looking for. Where is this other thing that, that proceeds is different from, like, comes from? <laughs> you know, it's definitely different from begets. No question is different from begets. But to beget is not just to come from, it's, it's to like, like actually expand as a projection of, right? Which is what the Son does, and the Spirit, not, not as much. You don't see the Spirit. So uh, those words make sense to me as words that, that were given from the Scripture and drawn from the Scripture. But then to try to say the Spirit doesn't come from Jesus, I, I, and that's why I've heard, I've never said it, but I've heard those who will say that Eastern Orthodox are effectively... Um, Mormon in their Trinitarianism. No, I, I, I didn't say that. But if you're Eastern Orthodox and you've never searched into that, you might want to look into the accusation a little bit because that's, that's a pretty heady claim. Well, um, I, what what's that? Who am I? I'm just a fool. Uh, so I think I explained that specifically. He says, Jedi Knight, Anakin Cringewalker, what's the understanding of the Trinity that's affected the Orthodox and Lutherans that requires us to keep the filioque? Well, again, if you, if, you, if you take it away, you're saying the Spirit doesn't come from Jesus. He only comes from the Father. You, you enter into, like, mysticism immediately, right? And we want to call it by name is mysticism. You're looking for some immediate Spirit who works apart from the Word of God. You're nuts. <laughs> Herding cats in the East, aren't you? Yeah. Thankfully, the liturgy has maintained enough of the actual Word of God that I'm not going to say they're not Christians. However, among those who really understand what they say about 
the Trinity or say Mary being the head of the body of Christ, that kind of thing. Neck of the body of Christ, excuse me. Um, you know, I don't know. I'll let God be their judge. They're wrong. Really, really wrong. They don't like me. <laughs> they really don't like me. I don't give them enough credit, I think. I don't give them enough attention for their beards. They have, they have better beards. And so I'm supposed to like think that they therefore are older <laughs> and more ancient than us Lutherans without our beards. And fair enough. Lutherans sold our manhood. Uh, we'll get it back. We'll get it back. Uh, but, but, but Catholic Christians will get it back. So Jedi Knight, Anakin Crenshaw, thank you for that. I think you paid a super chat to get that to show up at the end of last week's show. Uh-oh. That was not what I wanted to do. That's not what I wanted to do. How do I get rid of this? <laughs> you guys... Thankfully, you don't actually pay for this. You just help me out by sub- supporting me on Patreon, which is really cool. You can do that anytime per show is what it charges. It's like a subscription to the show. You get the show for free no matter what, but it makes the world go round for me unless me buy new stuff like this. It's what you've always wanted, isn't it? I should show you with my other camera. Oh, that... <laughs> Maybe I should make the other camera be the one we're looking at. So, there we go. This thing, right here. Oh, can we get it? This thing. Oh. This is going to go here. Uh, or like here. But this camera can be on an arm underneath it. And hopefully this mic too. Because this mic arm, while it's it's pretty long... It's not noisy yet, but it's it's made by the same company that made my last one that got super noisy and was like, it was really awful. So, anyhow, Patreon. Patreon is how we take these steps into the next levels, right? When we went to John, I should have done this. Look what we got. We're almost there. That's how we're going to do it. But the day is coming. The day is coming. Back to this. Boom. Uh, Pastor Joshua Ohm says... Oh, we did this one. We're not going to say that again. Are we out? You're like, this is the worst show ever. Here we go. Aliens. That'll keep you. <laughs> when in doubt, scream panspermia. Um, yes. Yes, I said that. And if you don't know what it means, that's your fault. Um, <laughs> Lester says, let me say too. I just have to say that I am going to not be... Um, afraid of you being offended at me laughing. If I happen to laugh at something that you care about and it doesn't come across right, I'm sorry. I try to be jovial just in general because I prefer that, that to frowning. I've spent a lot of my life frowning. And so I'm trying, I'm not trying, I'm just, I'm just letting it happen. That rather than fear, I laugh. And rather than be ashamed, I, I smile. I like it a lot better. And so I, I do tend to like, when it comes to some topics that, uh, I find ironic, kind of the way I described, you know, my, my little video game of Discord creating Concord uh, earlier. Um, the the irony uh, when it comes about, it, it it brings me such joy that I have to laugh at it, right? So so aliens being the thing that I get to use to try to keep you uh, on the show this morning, keep you listening. Uh, I just it tickles my fancy, and it's because you're picking up, Lester, that that I do find that kind of speculation uh, to be to be fun. I mean, well, sci-fi, right? Why not? And there's so much good that comes from it in terms of uh, forward thinking, visioneering, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Lester says this. I'm a Christian. Good. Uh, I'm a member of the LCMS Church. That's cool. A retired engineer. That's amazing. And, and having recently been listening to uh, Fisk, your, your podcasts and videos, 
On some recent Saturday morning chills, you mentioned UFOs. Yes, I did. Uh, well, there's a very good 109-minute documentary called Alien Intrusion, Unmasking a Deception that I think you and your listeners should watch. It includes interviews with several people who have encountered aliens. Yeah. So this is probably connected to that same group of flyboys that, uh, that have seen these angelic craft. Uh, I think it's right on with what they are, although not sure Christians will agree. Non-Christians will agree with their conclusion. Oh, interesting. You have hinted at their conclusion. Oh. Uh, but I think this documentary with eyewitness accounts clarifies what they really are. So either angels or demons. Um, welcome to the club, and we're at war. Join the team. They've been they've been quiet. I don't think they will be for much longer. So get ready. Uh, another um, another frequent topic. I'm not I'm not happy about that. By the way, it's a terrifying thought. Open your open your Bible. Start reading it. Uh, another frequent topic is the creation origin of the universe. Yes, that comes up often because it's a debate everyone wants to have. But I also find physics and math interesting, and I don't think that the uh, the Bible's so far off in its description of what science evidence shows us. The interpretation of that evidence is, is a different thing. So yeah, I, I find it really interesting to try to look at that old stuff um, so far as we can from this present position. I'm not convinced we can know as much about the ancient uh, as we think. We can't see past the fall, for example. So in any case, uh, blah, 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 blah. Dr. Russell Humphreys, a creationist cosmologist, has a model using Einstein's theory of relativity and the phenomenon of gravitational time dilation, that sounds cool, to illustrate how the creation of the cosmos is recorded in the Bible would have affected time here on Earth. His model explains how distant starlight, allegedly billions of light years away, could have reached Earth within a 6,000-year-old creation. He has a 20-minute video called Light Years, No Problem, that in my opinion explains the theory quite well. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that without even looking at it, and I'll tell you why. The essence of Einstein's understanding what he did that was amazing and we still don't understand it is he realized that time and space are alternate sides of the same coin like matter existing is like built into this other thing called time and there's a whole set of laws that operate behind that and thermodynamics is like part of that reality and then the quantum physics reality is like what happens on the other side of that a little bit like can you get so small that time ceases to be can you get so big that time ceases to be can you move so fast that time changes right and that's again uh, uh, the the theory is that at the speed of light I believe um, how's he, how's it say you wouldn't see your reflection in a mirror like it's going so fast and is that a, how does that affect time I'm fine with when you look at that you, just with the question itself say so now we want to go back past the fall past the cataclysm that changed the planet forever right? You're going to go back past that and you're going to try to try to discern how it all took place and make these mathematical claims about how light behaved, right? When it's quite clear that if things were moving faster, then time would have been going slower. <laughs> and it's, I mean, that's it. It's all you need to know, right? And so big bang, big shrink bang. I mean, who cares? Except for that you're trying to have it all happen after the fall somehow and you can't see past the fall. So I, I think, you know, the results of the big bang that we can test in terms of decay and all that are probably more like fall results. Uh, but, but I got to say this one though. Okay. So I'm bothered by this. I don't care about this answer when it comes to the light question, because this is where the creation science, as cool as this is, like, if, you know, uh, that's interesting. I'm not going to read on it myself, but that, that doesn't make sense. I don't know why you wouldn't, if you're a scientist, think this way and pursue this kind of thinking. You should. It's great. Um, but the thing is, we don't need this, the light from the stars to get to us. It's really important that you understand what I just said. We do not need the light from the stars to actually get to us. All we need is the light God created coming from the star at the instant of creation to get to us. Why do you assume that a star was created and then the light had to go from there to us? 
Why do you assume that when he said let there be light, that's how it happened? The light was there, if I'm not mistaken, in the days before the star. And then God like shoved it back into the star. So I, I just don't see the need for this argument. As cool as it is, when dealing with like, yeah, of course, like you want to argue about six days, I think you're not a scientist. <laughs> really, like you, you just really you, you have no idea how time space work. And clearly you haven't studied string theory, <laughs> which I don't even subscribe to. I think it's completely wrong. But if you study string theory and you're arguing about how six days is impossible, I, I, you just, I don't know, you're, just, you're just living in 1940s slogan land. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I mean, do you, do you add fluoride to your water after it comes out of the tap too? Jeez. You know? <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was a low shot. Dennis, the fluoride treatment is very important, very important, very useful. Um, maybe over, overused, perhaps, in some corners. Um, don't swallow the toothpaste, right? It says it on the package. Like that, that. And so if you're, if you're swallowing the toothpaste, I think Dennis will agree with me, you are overusing your fluoride and it's not good for you. So just be aware of that, right? Be aware of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I haven't been to the dentist because of COVID. Like they pushed it back. I love my dentist. But I had, they pushed it back and, and, and I'm going this week. I hope, I hope, I hope. It's been like nine months. So Pelosi finally got a haircut. I'm finally going to figure out if I, if I got cavities this time around. Um, so... Coming back to Lester's letter to finish it up, in combination with the alien intrusion leak video, I think they, these videos, recommendations, will help Christians grasp and understand the UFOs, aliens, encounters becoming popular in recent news. I'm very thankful for a young LCMS special like you. Thank you, Lester. I thought I thoroughly enjoy your media productions. I believe God is wonderfully using you in these last days. Um, the last days, that could be a long set of last days uh, is where I'm at. But uh, yeah, as we wait Christ coming again, we don't know the day or the hour. I intend to act as if it's going to be another thousand years. That's my plan. And if he shows up, then that's great. We're all, we're all going home. Uh, uh, so, yeah. How does this engage uh, the idea between, you know, science, physics, chemistry, light years, what we can observe, the quantum realm, the lie that is string theory, the fact that there is a cosmos or a universe, the common sense of reality that it can be observed and understood, the fact that there are things we don't see and they don't seem to play by the same rules that we do. All of these things are no problem for Christianity whatsoever. Just no problem for Christianity. In fact, I would say we're the only religion really compared to deal with this stuff. We're completely prepared to understand the creation and its powers for what it is. To believe that the tree is not just a piece of wood, but the tree is in fact a life form, a power, an order of creation that does things for other lives, like ants, right, birds. And, and that, in fact, as humans, we're there to name this, to understand this, and to help it thrive for the sake of our neighbors. And I think if we spent more time doing that and less time complaining about what we saw on TV— we might be happier people, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I mean, the pursuit of happiness is, is a, is a fool's errand, I think in certain ways, but the secret of contentment is not. And Paul says he learned it, which means it really is a thing to be able to be content. And I'll tell you the secret of it is to know you're dead. If you don't like the game of Thrones, I don't blame you. There's all sorts of problems with the game of Thrones. Can we do this? Here we go. Try it. Kabam and kabam. I don't even know if I'll ever read it again. If you can even finish the series, that'd be really great. I'd like to know if... Uh-oh. <laughs> Having not watched the rest of the, uh, of the TV show, I don't know what happens to Jon Snow. Well, but see, I do from the TV show, but is that what happens here after this? I don't know. In any case, in this rather interesting story that deals with... Really, is what makes the books good is they're based on real historical characters and figures who are just such characters and figures. I mean, they're just unbelievable people. Um, and they are 
all good and evil. So the good guys have bad stuff, the bad guys have good stuff, and you might say, well, that's a story without heroes. Well, no, it's not at all. The hero is still a hero. Um, but in it, there's a house, there's a people, and and their entire like set of words and life phrases is that dead men cannot die. They worship what they call the drowned god, and apparently has something to do with a squid. Maybe it's Cthulhu, and maybe it's the Kraken, and, and I don't know, right? And if you've never seen Ask a Ninja's review of Pirates of the Caribbean 2, speaking of Kraken, um, it's worth it. Google that on your own time. <laughs> Jeez, I got so far into Kraken now uh, that, oh, dead men. So, so, but the idea is, and they even baptize each other. It's such a, it's such a ripoff. So, so to become one of these men in this, in this civilization, uh, to give themselves to the God, they, they go out to the beach and they get held as a man underwater until you have drowned, right? This is like Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL training kind of stuff, right? They hold them under, under the water until they drown. And then as soon as they drown, they pull them back up, they resuscitate them. And then again, then they are part of the, the, uh, the, well, the manhood of the family. And I, they're a really bad family. But th- th- what they say is dead men cannot die. And while that might be their little pagan, weird, Cthulhu, Kraken, whatever, the fact is that's what Jesus Christ has said to you as a Christian, baptized in his name most holy. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, dead men cannot die. So when you know you're dead, already, it's just on rails from here to paradise. <laughs> and you, all you really do is kind of watch and like try to make good stuff come out of that mouth of yours. Dead men are already dead. They got nothing to fear. They're content. It's not magic. I still got bad feelings every morning. So it's not prosperity. It is faith. And we do need to exercise it. And it will change, if not how you always feel, how you make others feel. And the crazy thing is, when you're more concerned about making others feel better, you don't have time <laughs> to feel bad. <laughs> That's a good thing, too. It's what families are for. That's why he settles the solitary in a home. All those good things. All right. So, uh, hey, it is now, what are we looking at? We're at 10.15. Wow. Wow. We're almost done for the day. Um, lots of pizza. That's good. Glad to hear that. Not as much super chatting this morning, which is perfectly fine. But if you wanted to throw something in there now with this remaining 15 minutes, I can probably try to go there. Oh, no, I can't at least because we're going to do this for sure. All right, here we go. Oh, this is going to take a second, though. How do I do this? I want to go here like this. Is that right? Now, I want to go. Hmm. No, that's wrong. I need to show you. I'm showing you my desktop. Ah, this will do it. Now, if I do this, there we go. Setting it up. All right. Let's do some talk them into it. This is the first kind of main page of my new book, Talk Them Into It. The book is about how to tell people about Jesus in a way that makes it so they might want to hear it. (laughs) And and, uh, also how to talk with people who don't want to hear about Jesus, not about Jesus, but in a way that maybe eventually will make them want to hear about Jesus. Uh, that's, that's what the book's about. It's a how-to book for talking to your friends and neighbors about Jesus. And it is meant to be um, pondered. It is not a just a straight-up bullet point book. There are definitely bullet points in the book. But it is meant to be uh, meditated upon, reconsidered, pondered. It is, it is a devotional resource for carrying with you if you care about becoming the kind of person who talks about Jesus to other people. And I, I'll even promise you, 
You carry this book with you for a year and a half as one of your devotional resources. Put it beside the Psalms and the Scriptures, uh, and, and you read it every day, and you will be talking to people about Jesus. I cannot promise you they will convert, but as we're going to talk about in the book, the Bible promises people will convert. It doesn't promise everybody will convert, but people will convert. And based on that belief, what are you afraid of? So, first page. Talking about Jesus, right? Talk them into it. Why is everyone scared? Because we think it's hard, but it's not hard. It's not hard. And not by hard, you mean complex. Like, it's not like you need a really serious skill set to be able to talk about Jesus' resurrection to people. It's not like you need a real depth of knowledge. You don't need more than a passing understanding of your faith. You do need a passing understanding of your faith. We'll talk about that in other sections in the book. But it's not like it's rocket science. You don't need expertise. Um, You do need some grit. You need to not be afraid of other people's eyeballs. You need to not be afraid of other people's words. The antidote to that is to believe Jesus has risen from the dead, and you are part of a different kingdom, and you live in this world, but the king is coming, and you really believe it, right? Do you believe you have another kingdom, a liege, a master, one to whom you bow? Do you worship him daily? If you don't, then are you a Christian? Well, I mean, yes, you are, but you're Ill, ill-informed, are you not? <laughs> Should you not be bowing the knee before your Lord, praying to him according to his word, to ask for what he would have in your life, at the very least making use of the Lord's Prayer? You got to have some beggar's grit. If you want to talk to people about that, you got to be able to walk up to someone unafraid, unashamed. And beggars are crazy, isn't that? They don't ashamed to come up and ask you for money. I had, a, I had a really weird experience this week with a beggar. It doesn't happen a lot in my life. But it happened this week. I hope it happens again. I hope I find this man again. I'm praying for him now. In fact, I'll even tell you. Uh, <laughs> right? Right, look, take this out. Here he is. That's my beggar. Where'd he go? I got to find him again. I was sitting having some coffee. Rockford Restaurant Company, downtown Rockford. Rockford's a rough place. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm a hillbilly. <laughs> uh, but, 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 it's a good place for hillbillies. Uh, can't say it ain't country, that's for sure. I was downtown, and I, in our day and age, as a white man, I must admit, it's harder to be comfortable than it used to be. So if the goal is to have the white man understand what it means to have the hatred of racism foisted against him. Black Lives Matter, you have succeeded. I feel it. Sucks. <laughs> like, so I'm sitting down there, and they have this like nice little patio outside area, outside the store. Great coffee. Get my coffee. Sit outside. Poor young guy by me. He's outside in the sunshine with the mask on. I'm like, dude, dude, you poor man. Like, you, could, you can't catch it where you are right now. You cannot catch it where you are right now. Anyway. So he's over there. I'm, I'm sitting. I'm going to start reading my Bible and do my, my morning Psalms and get into the lectionary. But I'm like, I'm like nervous because I, I heard Twitter makes you happy, doesn't it? I had heard about a white man being beaten in the face randomly, uh, not at one of these events uh, for the sake of being white. I'd also seen a tweet of a black man saying that he just needs to find a white man and kill him. <laughs> That's nice. I felt, I mean, I felt good. Uh, so, so, uh, the, uh, so I'm sitting there with my back to the street, right, uh, at this table, knowing that I'm in a very uh, complex and nuanced neighborhood, and I can't help but fear. And the fear continued to fight me and fight me and fight me as I worked my way through the Psalms. And I got to the point where I was actually at the end of the Psalm, and, and I, was, I was just so, the, the fear was so heavy. And at that moment, there was a shadow standing right beside me, right to my left. And I looked, and I saw a black man's face staring right into mine. 
I took a deep breath and he said, sir, do you have any money? And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't carry cash, which is my pat offer because it's true. And then I caught myself because it wasn't true because I'd put a single dollar in the book of Ecclesiastes to mark a verse I wanted to find again later. So I said, wait a minute, I have a dollar. I'm going to give it to you, but you, gotta, you have to listen to me. <laughs> and I paid the beggar a dollar to let me read to him from the book of Ecclesiastes and talk to him about evil men who destroy lives with their lies and the salvation of Jesus Christ. I grabbed his hand. I said, brother, I don't know what brought you here today and what brought me here today other than our Lord, my God, and he'll go with you. May we meet again. And I walked away. He, didn't walk away. he walked away. I saw him ask more people for money. I don't even know if he gave a crap what I said, but I know what I said. And I know what it meant to me to look a son of ham in the eye, a black life that does matter. And I know the protests aren't going to help that guy. What it made me decide is I am going to make an, I am, it's like, this is not good. I'm going to go to the bank and get like, I need $200 in ones. <laughs> but I'm going to carry a dollar every day on a different Bible verse. I am. I'm gonna give it away. I'm going to pay you to let me preach to you. I'm going to do it to random people. I will give you a dollar, but you have to listen to me for 10 minutes. <laughs> do you think that'll work? I don't know. So talk them into it. Let's get back to it. Bam, 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 bam. Talk them into it. Bit of beggar's grit. That beggar walked up to me with grit. And thank God I had the grit to use the opportunity to tell him about the thing that really mattered. I didn't pretend that I was going to save his life in that moment. I'm not going to pretend. I'm gonna fig- I've watched that effort. I understand what it's like to try to turn around the homeless. You can't turn around people who have been made sick by a sick civilization that continues to systemically destroy them through bad ideas. It's not a matter of the politicians having the money or not enough money for the guilds that run our education systems or what have you. It's a matter of bad ideas in those systems being taught as if they're good ideas. And then people go like, that's a good idea. It's a good idea to eat celery and broccoli and carrots and no meat and no, no fat forever. That'll be good for me. No, it's not. It's a terrible idea that will destroy you. You're not made to live like that. <laughs> Science shows you this, right? Bad ideas have consequences. Good ideas have consequences. You have in your Christianity, the best idea with the best consequences in the universe. He is risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now. He won't be long anyway. If a beggar has enough grit to walk up to a stranger and ask for a dollar, do you have enough grit to walk up to a stranger and ask them to let you talk to them? And if you're too afraid, grab a dollar, go find a beggar, and start practicing. Cheers, friends. Rockford ain't ready for what we're going to hit it with. I can't wait till this gets addictive. If if, if only five of my members pick up this book and start doing this with me, it's just going to change the world. Pick it up. You won't be able to buy more and give it away. I, 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 I can't say it any other way. It's that needful right now. It's that needful. It takes discipline, though. This is it. It's not hard, but it is a discipline. It takes discipline to engage your patience in a conversation with a mind that is hostile to God. Can you see why they're short chapters? That sentence is really, really important. You should slow down on that sentence. When you want to convert somebody to Christianity, do you? Do you? I mean, you got to answer that. Do you want people to believe in Jesus or do you, do you believe that if they don't, it's bad? <laughs> It's a different conversation. I'm going to assume you want to. 
you've watched this long in the morning, uh, you want to, well, then you have to know you're going to be engaging a mind that hates God. Doesn't kind of hate God. It's not a mostly peaceful protest. <laughs> it's a full-on rebellion. Yeah. Um, that will take patience for you. Because it means that you will be rebuffed, you will be hurt, you will be turned away, you will be lied to, at times by the person who doesn't even know they're lying to themselves. But you must be willing to do this. You must enter that if you're going to ever help the people you know ask the, and answer the important questions of life together. This is a how-to book for learning what the Holy Spirit is doing today. It is a simple manual for getting people baptized into the kingdom of Jesus. You talk them into it. How do you talk them into that? It sounds like it's about man. I keep reading. (laughs) It is about man. You think we're not men? You think man's not involved in the conversion experience? He's not there? Just because he's not the cause, you think he's not part of it? The conversation doesn't matter? It just magically happens? Just because they got the sales pitch wrong doesn't mean we don't have to, like, tell people stuff. We got some super chats. I'm going to throw these in here to make sure they don't get lost. Jitter Knight Anakin Cringewalker says, had an argument with the Catholic over 1 Timothy 3.15 and the church being the final say of the truth. How do I argue with the Council of Trent? <laughs> you don't. Um, what you do is you tell everyone you know who's not a priest that you're a Catholic and that your church is a Catholic church and you never tell them it's Lutheran until they get there. And when you say, yeah, yeah, we're Catholic. And you just keep saying it. That's what you do. Forget trying to get the Catholics to, to not say that the Council of Trent is true. <laughs> They don't even pay attention to it. Like, they'll defend it, and they don't even use it on certain levels, right? Like, I mean, they've, they've dismissed the fact that it sends all of us to hell. Uh, you know, oh, don't worry about that, guys. We're over that one. Yeah, sure you are. You know, until you have the sword in your hand again. <laughs> so, so you had an argument over, over let's look at it. First Timothy uh, 3.15. This is the, the pillar and buttress of the truth, right? Uh, I'm going to look it up, and then let's see if we can do this at the same time like this, right? There. Where'd it go? Right here. Colossians, that ain't going to help us. Uh-oh. See, these little tiny epistles. Uh, it's tiny, it's tiny, it's tiny. Second Timothy. We're at First Timothy is what we want to write. 315. That cannot be right. Let's go back. No. There it is. First Timothy 315. Really? Hold on. We're in three. That looks like 14 to me. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Hmm, I've never heard this one. has argued this way before. Uh, in the house of God, which is... Oh, there he is. It's on the other side of the page. That's all. Um, faith in their greediness. Nope, I turned two pages. The church. There it is. The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up in the glory of a, a proto-creed going on right there um, from Paul. And probably, the way it's set apart there, it looks like it was a song in the early church, or so the editors of the New King James thought. Um, so but here's the idea. So who is this church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth? And the Catholic answer is the Pope. That's who. That's how you know. Now, they're going to say a bunch of other stuff, like the cardinals and other people. No, 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 no. You don't let them lie to you. It's the Pope. If the Pope goes away, it all falls apart. And so for them, the church means the Pope. You just have to know every time they say the word, they mean the Pope. For you, Christian, the church does not mean the Pope. It means all the Christians, including the Pope, when the Pope is a Christian, right? And that church, that assembly of the living God, the people that God is assembling, 
is the pillar and ground of the truth. Why and how? Because it confesses the mystery that shall not be undone, which frankly, even Catholics do still confess and uh, Protestants do still confess. And the book, Talk Them Into It, frankly, is about this kind of this kind of way. Like it's not the same set of rules, but it's a very basic words of life creed that you can say to your friends and neighbors to confess the truth to them. But then to make this, this is so funny. Oh, you know what, what this means is, is, is the, the, um, uh, the teaching colloquium of the church and the, the Council of Cardinals and uh, the, the Council of Trent is what the church of the living God is. Like, okay, cool. So show me a couple more Bible verses to tell me to trust guys in a couple thousand years that this verse is talking about them saying, I can't read the Bible. So, so I'd, I'd love some verses that show me that. That's where I would go on this one if you're going to really fight about it. Because Again, it's just like they just got to make it up. It's like, oh, that word church just means the Pope. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. Why? Um, and I know I, there's really great Roman Catholics out there. You guys are awesome, but you're complete hypocrites on the Pope. You really are, especially this one. <laughs> you always have been. The fact that they, there were three at one time should be a, a death knell in the theology of this thing, but you can't. You can't let it go. And because you need the mass to make money to keep the system going, it's all about the belly. It always is. And you'd be mad at me if you like, um, but I am excommunicated. So I, I'm just not afraid of you at this point anymore. Ha! Huh, I hope that helped a little bit, uh, Jedi Knight. And then Ryan Learman uh, throws this one in here. Ryan says, Thank you, Pastor. May we all continue to encourage and support one another. You certainly help raise my eyes. That's good. Lift them up toward the hills of Zion that is the supper of Jesus, which is the foretaste of his, his, his impending return. We're not quite done yet. Uh oh, wrong one. With, uh oh, there it is. Talk them into it. We're going to give you one more page before we're done here. So, talk them into it. It's not about. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know what? That's so funny. Have you ever been. It's like. <laughs> There's a far side where, like, um, it's like this. It's like a, a cityscape, but it's like the something, something school for the gifted. And they got the kid. He's like pushing on it, the door, and like the door says pull. Right? He's just sitting there pushing on it. I think it's a far side. It's so good. So what I was doing was I was trying to scroll on like the the um, external feed, right, uh, instead of the program that the thing is in. So this is the second second page of the book. You can talk people into being Christians. Read that. Believe that. That's the Bible's truth. Don't let some Lutheran butt butt jump up right away. No, 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 no. If there's a Lutheran butt, it is a it is an unneeded question based upon a fear of the devil that you don't need to have when you're talking about the promises of God. Don't be afraid that the devil won't understand the promises of God. That's a really silly fear. Don't try to stop evil people from misapplying the promises of God. That's also a really silly fear. You must let evil people apply the promises of God wrongly to themselves so that people can hear the promises of God and some will convert and apply them rightly to themselves. You can talk people into Christianity. Quite honestly, that's the only way it ever happens. Even if you baptize them as children, if you don't talk them into their Christianity, they will leave it. The only way Christianity exists is that we talk about it and we keep talking each other into it. You even pay a guy to stand there once a week and try to talk you into it. At this point in history, you're so bored by that idea that you only let him talk for 15 minutes, that you make his life mostly about not talking, and you tell him he has to do a bunch of other stuff rather than just get you together more often and talk to you about Jesus. Because preaching is boring. I'm going to say, maybe there's a good reason for you thinking preaching is boring. It has nothing to do with you. Maybe then again, the TV does more than you think. Maybe it's a bit of both. You can talk people into being Christians because, quite honestly, that's the only way it ever happens. 
One might nitpick about the power of prayer, the movements of the Spirit, the regeneration of baptism, or the love by which the world ought to know we are Christians, but none of that does any good to the perishing. As much as our love might prompt the world's inquiry, or our prayers may bend God's sovereign ear, or the Spirit may prepare men's hearts, no saint of the heights nor sinner of the depths comes to be a Christian without hearing the life and deeds of Jesus and Nazareth, which means you can talk people into being a Christian. It's the only way it ever happens. It happens when you talk about the life and deeds of Jesus of Nazareth. Are you with me yet? Should we keep going? It's kind of like it's not rocket science, right? The age we live in, where is the debater? The age we live in is a white noise monstrosity of shouting and sound bites. Conversation is rarely about being clear, much less about discovering what is right. Rather, it is most often a game of winning and a show of trivial one-upmanship. But that is no excuse for sensible Christians to slack off on redeeming the time. At the very least, we must ourselves be interested in truth being true. For if truth is otherwise only in the eye of the beholder, then so also is the ability to authentically share a sunset. You should pause on that one, true. If you don't think truth is true, if you think beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then you can't say a sunset is beautiful. It's really sad. Beauty is an eternal reality. It's a virtue. But as we shall see, it is not only the reasons the unbeliever gives against believing that must be explored, but more importantly, the one false religion which lurks beneath his many pompously wiki-parroted flesh-slathering excuses. That will do one more, right? There is no Christian martial art. Christianity is the full spirit embrace of a martial life. It means a warring life. Christianity is the religion of honest suffering. One does not demonstrate... You know what? I just realized you might not even be able to see this. Oh, good, you can. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, one does not demonstrate fear and trembling while reclining on a cushion. And one is less likely to speak out loud the words of eternal life if one has never known the fear of the Lord. Christianity is martyrdom, or it is little more than a parlor game for the effect. Christianity is witness. It is not the personal testimonies of men, but the certain words of the living God. Christianity does not have a martial art because it is against the martial life. Christians are no more pacifists than we are barbarians. So that sentence needs to be updated. That's a bad sentence. Christianity does not have a martial art because it is against the martial life. That's how it should be read. Right? And so it said, you could read it two different ways. The next sentence hopefully clarifies that. Christianity does not have a martial art because it is against a martial life. Like you can have martial arts and be a Christian. Christians are no more pacifists than we are barbarians. We're not, we're not against defending ourselves, nor are we against attacking people. Or, 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 sorry, nor are we for attack, attacking people generally, right? We, we generally don't attack and we generally do defend. That, that's Christians. We have a martial life. It's okay. We aim so as to safely disarm our enemy. We will preserve, even if it means sacrificing. So we do encounter our war a different way than others do. We're more willing to sacrifice than others are. Christianity learns freely from the common sense wisdom of all martial arts then, and gladly remains a disciple so as to teach what all the masters cannot know. The goal is not to kill the opponent. The goal is to deliver the final word. I can't wait for my paper copy to come. It, it's uh, You can have Prime, and it'll take you longer than two days because it's Kindle Direct Publishing, and so it takes like a week and a half, something like that. But I am looking forward to reading this and smartening it because I need to ponder all these things. They are so important to what I would call the, the retrofitting, the intentional retrofitting of my own personal lifestyle over the last year so as to funnel 
everything I can into what I am calling the St. Paul mindset or the Catholic Christian mindset, but it's based on St. Paul, the apostle himself, that I, I want every moment, uh, every day to be another opportunity to talk about the world that's coming and show how this world reflects it still, how he doesn't just say, I'm your shepherd. He actually does give you green pastures, fresh waters, daily bread. He actually does prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that your cup overflows. That is, though they take your life, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone, the battle still is won. And you know this too. The bodily training, as Paul says, is of much value. Not as much as spiritual training. The inner life is of much value too. You need to work on your inner life. You need to have, you have an inner life. If you don't believe that you don't need to work on your inner life and you have an inner life, then your inner life is going to be completely out of your control. It's going to be completely controlled by the, the, the whims of the world. So working on that inner life, <laughs> I lost my thought. Oh, change, 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 change. The St. Paul mindset says, I want my inner life to be one in which there is more and more word of God and less and less word of the world. Because frankly, what is the world really going to add to it? What I can do is I can go out in the world and I can add to the world. I can bring to the world a peace that the world cannot give, an understanding of fatherhood that the world does not believe in. But we can enact and actually demonstrate to be functional in relationship with wife and children and community and neighborhood. These things which the, which the antis are tearing down, Christians can build with the search. This is why I brought up that Paul bit about the physical training being of, of some value. Um, we know that as Christians sojourning in Babylon or where, where have you, as the city goes, so go we. And so if God's going to punish the city for its ungodliness and we're inside the city, I mean, it's going to burn down around us. But that doesn't mean he's going to kill us. And it doesn't mean on the other side we're supposed to sit there and say, I don't have a God just because your God got killed. <laughs> you know, my God's still here. I'm going to rebuild, waiting for him to come back. Yeah. We know how Texas got the way it is. That's how Texas got the way it is. We use a little more of that everywhere. A little more of that everywhere. All right, we got another super chat here. We're done with talking into it for this week. Please, please, please consider picking up a paper copy if you haven't already. Try to boost sales early on if possible. Um, buy some, give them away. You're going to find that this thing is such a great resource. I'm asking for money all over the place. Patreon exists. Mad Mondays, you got to sign up. You get a free copy of the book that way, uh, digitally, all that. Super chat from Hercule Flambeau. Sounds like a meal. Riff Fisk, uh, what would happen, what would need to happen for you to be in communion with Rome? Yeah. Roman Catholic here. I really enjoy your content and benefit from you. You know what? Um, golly, I was just praying about this. I'd like to be Pope, you know. I really would. I think I could fix a few things. But it's a long shot. <laughs> to the moon, Alice. Uh, so here's what it would take. I'll tell you what it would take. It would take a sit down at which it, an order was created, which acknowledges the Augsburg Confession and its apology as orthodox statements of faith. And the freedom to practice kind of Eastern Rite style, then. That your hands off. You don't get to own the buildings, maybe. You know? There'd be some, like, petty fighting about it in terms of what we all deal with, the properties and all that. But in terms of, you want to fix this thing? Unaltered Augsburg Confession. We presented it to the emperor... And, then, and, and the Pope got it, and on the basis of it, we're not Catholics. I think it's a Catholic document. I think most Roman Catholics today would like it quite a bit, by and large. Uh, especially the parts where we're like, we should correct these abuses that are still there today. <laughs> um, but those are the later parts. Those are, those are the corrected abuses that we amongst ourselves correct, that you would not necessarily have to correct. You would just have to allow us to correct them. We don't worship the saints. We let our priests get married. Things like that. 
If we can actually get to the table on that one, on the UAC, which would require the striking of a line from Trent, um, hey, man, I'm on the table with you. Let's do it. Let's get that thing done. I don't think you can get it done. Uh, I, I, I know my local bishop here. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's the bishop of Rome. I'm the bishop of nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bishop of River Spring Corner is what I am. <laughs> but but uh, he knows I'm here. He knows I'm pro-life. Uh, we know we're on the same team in some of these battles, and I look forward to working with them more in the future and learning more uh, about you know what American Catholicism um, can say. Uh, I, I don't have any intention to take my church into Rome. Why would I do that? However, however, if we could all come together and answer a few questions, just that alone, right? Um, to stand together and say we disagree, but we do not anathematize. That's like a fresh foot, you know. <laughs> That's a fresh foot. We can maybe do a thousand years of work on that back. Yeah. Um, so great question, Hercule Flambeau. I do love your your name. It makes me want to eat fondue. And yes, I do fondue, but it's just cheese dip. And if you don't know the reference, oh, I can't help you there. Can't help you there. All right. All right. All right. All right. It looks like it's 1041. It looks like it's the end of the morning. It isn't really. But since I discovered Smart Notes, I really want to read more. <laughs> it's the best thing in the world. I've turned off my TV. I don't play video games. And I cannot stop reading. And you'll forgive me for saying I think you should try it. I think you should try it. It really um, can, can dare I say, manifest itself uh, in, in a way that just doesn't happen in the digital world. Let these words, let these words be your words. Um, <laughs> Psalm 125.3 is the verse I've prayed most loudly this week. It says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. This is King James. Lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Now, when I say that loud, I don't use the word righteous because, well, it's a fine word. It's a good word. It doesn't really come through the English with all of the grace that it really does entail. So I say instead, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the justified lest the justified reach out their hands to iniquity. Now, you can look at this in two different ways. You can see this as a commandment, that if you're a Christian, you're justified. You've been given a place where you live, whether you rent it as your slave quarters from your landlord, sponsor <laughs> it, or whether you, in fact, own, you are a landlord yourself, a lord of some land, own some land, and are, in fact, its patron, right? You're its, you're its, its owner, its leader, its head, male or female. If you have a male, he's going to be the head, but if there's no male that's the head, the female will be the head, um, all that kind of stuff. Like You're the justified. You have that land. It, you can say that this means, therefore, you shouldn't let wicked stuff happen on your land and land is not allowed to have wicked stuff. Or, or you can believe that God has promised that where he gives you reign as a Christian with his word, the scepter of wickedness can't stay there for long. So you live in Babylon and the king makes an edict that says all the people who worship this way are going to be killed. Well, it lasts a couple of weeks. Some people die even maybe. But then it passes, and you're still here, and your religion's still here, and the people who died are you're going to see them on the day of resurrection. So the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land allotted to the righteous. It, it won't happen. So if you're a Christian, you live in America, pray this verse. <laughs> it means God will not let wicked men run your country so that you are not tempted. That's what the last part is, right? Lest the righteous, the justified, reach out their hands to iniquity. God does not want you to fall away. And if having strippers and drug dealers on the corner outside your house would make you or your children fall away, he doesn't want that. And he will not allow that. Now, the trick is you got to have the grit to stand up and say, I'm the king of this little corner of the world. That street outside is my street. If there's trash on it, I'm going to pick it up. If there's a drug dealer on it, I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> oh, man. 
Let's reach the neighborhood and never move in. Oh, for goodness sakes. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. I am praying the Lord Jesus Christ. That whole Psalm 125, uh, every morning out over my yard (laughs) Uh, in the belief that my country can't stay down as long as there's mad Christians here and that we're going to make mad Christians when we talk about Jesus and that I wrote a book to help me do it more. And I really hope you journey on this escapade journey. Join me on this journey. Journey me on the escapade journey. West Coast hillbilly, everybody. Um, join me on the escapade and, uh, and see what comes of it because, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to roll over and just let them kill us. Let's go down shouting, you know, let's go down shouting. Um, I really want to close with some rap this morning, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. I'm not there yet. It's the weirdest thought ever, isn't it? Um, but we'll come back on that another day. Oh, I was so close this morning. You know what's a really cool thing? Try this. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's cool. If you haven't gotten it yet, where are you? Oh, did I put, leave, leave it somewhere else so I can't show you? It's not close by. I bought part of the St. Paul mindset that I'm teaching my people at, at church is that you try to always have your Bible with you. So buy a Bible you can take with you. Try to always have a prayer book with you. Hymnal's a good one. And uh, try to buy one you can take with you. And so I have a little tiny Lutheran service book I bought recently. It's just the most amazing little thing. It's really great. It's like a book of poetry. There's no music in it. You can sing the songs if you know the songs, which you should if you've grown up in the church. And <laughs> just saying. And, <laughs> uh, but it's like poetry. It's like, it's like poetry. That's We call that rap these days, actually, is, is what poetry is. And the amazing thing is if that you're listening to some good rap with a good beat and you have your hymnal open, and you turn it down just enough so you just let the rap go away. It's a song you like. You don't mind the words, but you don't want to sing the words. And you start singing like Christ the Lord, not singing. You start chanting with rap style, Christ the Lord of hosts and shaken. You just keep going him after him after him after him all the way through the song. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I, I highly recommend trying trying that. I, I do it for, oh, 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 here's why we don't have it. It was, ah! it was acting. It was acting. It was acting. Oh my goodness. The trick is getting the rhythm so you could hear it. It won't sound nearly as good without without the rhythm. This is show's over, right? I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Stick around. Alright, alright, alright. This is I'm so I'm so embarrassed. But it's it's such good poetry. Christ the Lord of hosts unshaken, by the devil's seething rage, swords the plan of Satan's minions, wins the strife from age to age, conquers sin and death forever, slams them in their steely cage. I'm seriously, like like find something like this and listen to whatever music you like and just start chanting these words over the beat, and you will have a prayer life that you weren't expecting to have. It may not be cool enough to cut an album. I'm on the wrong thing here. Oh, I know what happened. <laughs> it may not be cool enough to cut an album, but who needs to cut an album? You just got to teach your kids how to sing. That's all you got to do. Hey, it has been great this morning. You already know how you can support Patreon. You can get on the Mad Money's mailing. You can get the free book. You can buy the book. You can... What else? There's a podcast, A Brief History of Power, the new podcast with me and Pastor Adam Coons talking about, well... Race relations, uh, the history of tyranny, capitalism, communism, all of the above, what the Bible might have to say about this. And yet, from a very science secular point of view, the idea here, of course, is to launch Professor Kuntz, one of the youngest, brightest minds among us, into the intellectual dark web. That would be into the, 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 that pile of voices that does, in fact, impact social policy, theological social policy for the United States. Wouldn't it be great to have a voice like Kuntz is up there prophetically standing firm? So A Brief History of Power is, is – uh, it's not the Black Arrow. 
talk them into it. It's the black arrow. It's it's the other arrow I, I'm using to shoot at smog. Uh, <laughs> right? And you're going to join me with that if you like that stuff. If you're looking for that way to engage something more than just Bible text with your faith, uh, and you want an example of how to talk to secularists about things that we can share with them, uh, so they would give us a hearing about the faith, uh, that, that's definitely what it is. If you've been waiting for uh, Stop the White Noise, which was another podcast that was going to be Wolf Mueller and I, it will not be because of uh, the turnaround and some of the things he's aiming for right now, um, but it, uh, uh, it will be with my wife. That is still in, in, uh, in the works. So I'm hoping uh, by after Christmas at the least, uh, we should have a weekly podcast on parenting, on uh, communication theory in the family, on, on family system dynamics, if you're familiar with, with that kind of psychological stuff, on um, raising children without shame, uh, all over the place. Really looking forward to that podcast, but we're doing everything one at a time to make it really hit. And remember, Discord is being built as our hub for the Mad Christian Network first. That's our, our real main thing. And we've had a lot of you asking about dungeons and fast and furious dragons and all that. And it is not gone either, but remember, the world ended... I moved. I wrote a book that is the Black Arrow in my life. And I would still like to do a TV show with D&D, but it's just, it's just going to have to wait. It'll happen. Like, I think this year we're going to get the launch, okay? This year meaning, like, from now until this time next year. Um, but it's just got to be the rule for D and F and F and D, right? Dungeons and Fast and Furious Dragons. Um, uh, it, the rule is that I can't not have fun. Like the moment I think I have to do this thing, I don't do it. <laughs> That's the only rule of the game, but I think it'll work. And I think it's going to be a long thing that will be coming. So if you were interested in that, don't worry. When you build a plan, a 40-year plan to take over the world, you have to plant seeds and then let them grow, right? So we're going to do one at a time. The idea is to not fall apart where I manage everything, but let your network grow so your projects become part of what's underneath and the rising tide lifts us all up to be louder voices out in, in the world, the white noise, right? Because we got to be confessing this truth with all that being what you know to be true, I should try to bring it to an end and say something as simple as, my friends, don't wallow in the muck. Ugh, I want to look at you while I say it. I don't know which button I have to hit when I'm done. There we go. <laughs> I pray you never grow tired of me not knowing what I'm doing, talking about it, and then concluding by bringing you theology. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't wall in the muck, my friends, with those who have no hope. Brighter days are ahead of us. The COVID shadow, while still perhaps much to be learned about how to handle hygiene and cleanliness and how it can become hyper-religious, even a secular culture, very, very quickly. Like, oh, that's really important. But open up your eyes. Open up your windows. It's a beautiful day. Only 9,200 people died from this disease by itself. We're going to be more normal next year than we've been the last few months. Trust in Jesus, learn to talk about Jesus, and get ready to believe that if, if you're not fighting for your little square of land to be the, the, the God-honest king in the reign of Jesus on your little square of land, well, then you shouldn't wonder why it's not going so well. Uh, and you want it to go well? I mean, I'm not talking wealth and prosperity. I'm just talking that you know what's going on. You want it to go well? Well... I talk them into it <laughs> you know, and then and, and come back. We'll catch you. you. I can promise you it'll go well. Open your Psalter. Go to 127. Do that one today. Have you seen it before? It's not just about having kids. It's about a lot more than having kids, but the kids are like sweet action in the middle of the whole thing. But your kid, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Why? Because they have learned how to not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. They have lifted up their heads as they see the day approaching. I almost did it. It was almost a great conclusion. I am no Joe Rogan. They will lift up their eyes with you to see that day approaching. Um, 
Yeah. Rock on, people. Catch you soon. Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>